Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time? Hey everybody, Mary Roach is big time. Uh, she's written uh, a bunch of books. She's been writing magazine articles. She's flown upside down in an airplane with Tom Cruise. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, she has listened to Fabio's high fidelity equipment in his apartment. Um, no word on whether she and Fabio got romantic um but uh it's you know it's a possibility that's all i'm saying mary would i'm sure deny it but fabio tells me it happened so i'm kidding i'm kidding i don't know fabio uh welcome to the podcast mary roach is uh, my guest this week this is a fresh one fresh from the oven uh just saw her a few days ago in san francisco in oakland actually we we're in a in a little bar near where she works uh her writing office i i presume in uh downtown oakland and uh so you'll hear some some chatter in the background uh, we the bar was completely empty when we started the interview, and uh, about ten minutes into it, a very loud lesbian couple came and sat down right next to us. Don't know why the whole place was empty. We had the mics on the table, but there they were. So uh, we uh, hit pause and moved to another part of the of the bar. So if you hear some changes going around in the background, that's probably just us relocating. Uh, anyhow, Mary Roach is really interesting. As you'll see, she's funny. She's done a lot of crazy stuff through her writing. Uh, you know, she and I share the how can i put this um i i think most people really appreciate the fact that the way mary writes is um full of humor and energy and uh surprises uh you know uh, verbal surprises she she takes you places you don't know she's going she's very famous for um having sex in a Oh, she tells me, and I think I said it was an MRI machine, but it's not. Oh, it's a sauna, uh, uh, a sonogram. She's <laughs> anyway having sex, you know, while hooked up to machines and stuff, you know, all for the for the work. That's it's uh, it's what she does. She's a immersion kind of uh, journalist. Anyway, what I was going to say is that uh, you know one of the things that she and I share is that I think a lot of people appreciate the. Uh, gonzo sort of approach to writing that makes it more fun to read but some people who take themselves way too fucking seriously in my opinion uh think that serious ideas have to be expressed in serious language and that uh big ideas can't be funny and if you bring any sort of humor to discussions of science you're uh ridiculous and pathetic and uh cringe inducing and that sort of thing so occasionally when i'm uh, feeling masochistic i'll read the negative reviews that uh our books received on you know goodreads or or amazon or whatever and and one of the recurring themes is you know oh, these stupid jokes you know i couldn't stand it 
fair enough, right? I mean, not everybody loves everything. Um, but uh, I was reading some reviews of Mary's books, and you know, ninety-five percent of them are positive. But I've noticed that the negative reviews she gets tend to be similar to the negative reviews that we get. So uh, we've got some common enemies, which makes us friends, according to the old adage, right? Uh, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Squarespace, it just keeps getting better. Uh, As of recently, every Squarespace plan uh, supports commerce functionality. They used to be called Standard, Unlimited, and Business, but they've changed them. Now they're called Professional, sorry, Personal, Professional, and Business. But in any case, all three of the different plans support commerce functionality, which means that literally every Squarespace customer can now sell their products online. It's included in the plan. Um, Each plan has a range of functionality in terms of integrations with third-party software and all that business. You can find all about it at squarespace.com. You know, the, the core features of the of the format uh, of the service are fantastic. They remain un- unparalleled. Customer service like you've never seen coming right back at you. They say within 24 hours, but in my experience, it's been within an hour or two. Um, they're extremely responsive. They not only answer your question, they uh, often will send you a little video of, uh, you know, their uh, screen capture of them going through and click here, and then you do this and you slide that over, and there you go. So they're not only explaining it, they're showing you how to do whatever you need to do. You'll see the templates are really attractive, beautiful. And it's really cheap. It's uh, whatever it was, nine nine bucks a, a month or something. And then you get uh, 10% off that if you go for a year. And you get the URL for free included in your price. And if you use my new uh, code word, which <laughs> I, when I was on uh, with Joe and Duncan last uh, and I did my little Squarespace spiel. I got a lit, lot of shit from those two guys because it was so sloppy and I couldn't even remember what my discount code was. And then I remembered it was tangent. Uh, and both of them were like, that sucks. That's the worst discount code ever. Or Duncan talk, you know, Duncan, that's the worst discount code. And anyway, so I, uh, the guys at Squarespace heard about that, and they changed it. So now my discount code is much more memorable. It's SEX, S-E-X, easy to remember, hard to forget, SEX. So when you sign up, if you sign up, uh, when it asks you for your discount code, put in S-E-X, and you'll get another 10% off. And the guys at Squarespace will say, hey, people from Chris Ryan's podcast are actually signing up let's keep giving him some money so you're doing your part for the podcast nation um i'm in portland i'm sitting in this apartment we're staying in for a while while we look for something more uh, permanent and uh looking out the window it's overcast oh yeah it's overcast you know sun peaks out every couple of minutes you know just to tease you a little bit and then it rains for a while but in general it's overcast i read just recently that portland has the highest suicide rate of any country in the u.s which is not um probably not good news uh but uh i don't know i'm not sure how to the thing is, I, I'm not 
completely against suicide. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to no, see here's something I should not be joking about, but I, um, I, uh, interviewed for a job on a suicide hotline once when I was in graduate school and I got through the initial interviews and then I got to the last one and, and, uh, cause I was in grad school for psychology and, um, you know, that, that's sort of, I think a lot of the people who, who do those sort of entry level jobs, but very important, um, are in grad school for psychology. And, um, the, uh, the guy says to me, the, this is like the boss, the, the last interview. And the guy says to me, so, okay, one last question. Can you imagine any situation in which suicide would be a good option? And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, okay, well, thanks for coming in, but this isn't going to work. Like, boom, disqualified. So if you're ever um, applying for a job on a suicide hotline, you do not want to answer that question in the affirmative if you actually are worried about getting the job. But, you know, the truth is I've seen people linger uh, far beyond the time of, uh, you know, like life's a party, right? And and you got to know when to leave a party. You don't want to be you know, the guy passed out on the floor after the party's over. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of us approach life that way. I wrote a blog on psychology today, a few days ago about that, uh, giraffe that they killed at the zoo in Denmark and the, the, the hubbub that I saw Anderson Cooper, um, and his guest, Jack Hanna, who's some sort of wildlife expert, and they were just going off on the fact that they'd killed this giraffe in the zoo in, in Denmark. And um, not only did they kill it, but then they they did an autopsy. They killed it in a humane way. They, they you know, the bolt to the brain thing that they do with livestock in general. Um, so it was a sudden death, no pain. Uh, and then they, they autopsied it and cut it up, butchered it, and fed it to lions. And they did this whole process in front of... Um, kids who had come in on a field trip uh, from school and uh, and you know the the Danish consider this an educational experience and old Anderson and Jack were just fuming they were so upset that they had killed this innocent giraffe and you know they they should have and none of the zoos in in Europe apparently could take it because it you know the, there's inbreeding because they don't go out and capture wild animals anymore and bring them into zoos they they breed them so um when it's related to all the other giraffes in Europe then it's not going to be useful as a breeding um animal and so you know there's it's surplus in other words so, you know, they're not going to spend $80,000 or whatever it would cost to ship a fucking giraffe to some zoo in Brazil, right? And even if they did, what would the quality of life be for that giraffe in a Brazilian zoo, right? So they interviewed the, the director of the of the zoo, and he said, look, you know, maybe there's a cultural difference here, but we feel that what's important is that this that the animals in our zoos have the highest possible quality of life while they're alive right while they're alive they have a high quality of life 
And when they don't, when the quality of life is not possible, then they're no longer alive because we kill them, right? And the American perspective was, I mean, and also, please, Anderson Cooper, I imagine, is wearing leather shoes and a leather belt, right? So, come on, dude. And his his guest, uh, Jack Hanna, was wearing a leather, you know, crocodile Dundee hat. So, obviously, these guys participate in the death of animals. I don't think either of them's a vegetarian and blah, 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 right? So, but the thing is that the American perspective is based upon this idea that death can be avoided, that death can be cheated somehow, that we can, you know, forever young and bullshit. Nobody's forever young. And if you are, that just means you're literally retarded. Your your maturity is not happening at the rate it should be. If you're a 50-year-old guy, you know, and you're walking around with your frat shirts on, dude, you're pathetic. You know, you're not young. You're pathetic. Anyway, what the hell am I talking about? Oh, the suicide thing. So my point was that, uh, you know, I've seen people who make this tragic mistake of, of valuing quantity over quality. And I think that's a particularly American mistake that we make. All you can eat. Hey, come on in, all you can eat, all the shrimp you can stuff in your fucking mouth. You know, in Europe, that doesn't exist. There are no all-you-can-eat restaurants in Europe. I've never seen one. I lived there over 20 years. Never saw a single all-you-can-eat restaurant. Uh, you know, the big cars, the big trucks, the Dodge Ram, blah, blah, blah. It's all about big, big, big. It's not about good. And long life and a good life are two different things. So sometimes somebody's got a tragic terminal illness. I got to tell you, I admire people who say enough, enough. I don't want to drag my family into this. I don't want to bankrupt my family on what on chemo. So all my hair will fall out and I'll spend the next, the last six months of my life puking every day. Fuck it. I'm out of here. Why not? The party's going to end anyway, right? I'm going to leave anyway. I leave now. I leave then. I think there's a great dignity in somebody saying, no, I'm going out on my own terms. I'm going to choose when. I'm going to choose how. That's why I can't understand how euthanasia is not legal. If we don't have the right to end our own lives, what right do we have? What is more basic and fundamental than having the right to say, it's my life. I'll decide how it ends and when it ends. If I'm lucky enough to have that choice, if you know, an anvil doesn't fall from the sky, we can do that for our animals, right? Your dog's sick, your dog's suffering, your dog's never going to get better. You can end that dog's suffering, but you can't do it for your dad. You can't do it for your wife. I remember reading about this case of a couple in Florida, the woman, I don't remember what she had, but it was a terminal terminal illness, and they were in their 80s, and they made a video for their children, and this is what we've decided to do, blah, blah, blah. And the husband shoots the wife, and then he shoots himself, and something went wrong, and he didn't die. She did. And they put the guy in prison. Dude in his 80s, right? He didn't kill his wife in anger. He didn't kill her out of hatred. He killed her out of love. And that's considered a crime. I don't get it. Anyway, 
I don't know why the hell I got off on that. That has nothing to do with Mary Roach or Squarespace, for that matter. Squarespace does not support euthanasia, as far as I know. Um, but, um, yeah, check them out, squarespace.com. <laughs> that is the most tangential fucking commercial for Squarespace ever. Uh, also, uh, as always, Sure Design T-shirts, suredesigntshirts.com. Check them out. They're great. They've got all sorts of cool stuff. And if you haven't ordered a t-shirt either one of ours or duncan's or i think i think he, he sponsors Daniele as well get one get one from somebody buy one from somebody find the design you like and get it because the the material has to be felt to be believed it's so soft and so stretchy i mean it's stretchy in a in a nice way you know it man really looks nice on women i gotta say not to be sexist or anything um but uh yeah squarespace i mean uh, short design t-shirts check them out if you want to look at our stuff go to chris ryan you'll see the t-shirt tab go on there and you get uh yeah there's a bunch of different designs there are more coming soon by the way we've put in a big ass order so there are some new designs coming uh soon and i'm looking forward to seeing how you like those short design t-shirts.com all right that's it. I'm going to wrap this up and we'll get right into the Mary Roach interview. She's fantastic, funny, cool. Um, it, it's, it was a lot of fun talking with her. Being able to hang out and chat with people like that is, uh, you know, it's one of the, the joys of doing this podcast. And I appreciate you for spreading the word. The numbers keep going up. Uh, I guess you're telling your friends. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, it's great. It's, it's wonderful to, you know, I just got a, a tweet. I saw a tweet from someone who said, your podcast makes insomnia easier. And it's like, wow, that's the, you know, thank you. Thank you. So if you're having trouble sleeping and, and you're listening to this instead, uh, I really appreciate it. It's great to be there with you. And uh, and thanks for, for making it worthwhile for somebody like Mary Roach to sit down and spend some time with me. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right, so I'm sitting in the Dogwood Bar in downtown Oakland with the great Mary Roach. We're drinking IPAs. Happy hour IPAs. Happy hour IPAs. Dollar off. Hey, there you go. Appeals to the cheapskate in me. For <laughs> the cheapskate in me, since I'm the host here. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're paying. This that is, appeals even this more This is all going on my, my expense account. Yeah, yeah. for uh, my, my production company, which I haven't started. Anyway, welcome. Thank so, you. So nice of you to make time for this. I, I really my appreciate pleasure. it. My pleasure. I mean, you were talking before I turned on the mic that, uh, you know, I've had some pretty cool guests, and, and I have, and I'm always so grateful. Uh, I've also had some, like, completely, um, I mean, some guests are famous, like you, and some guests are, like, my 11-year-old cousin, who's just, like, a really smart 11-year-old. I and love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a, it a really good interview. But it was, like, porn star, my 11-year-old cousin, porn star, I think was the <laughs> sequence. I didn't really think about that, but... You know, <laughs> what's my sequence? Who's before me and after me? Uh, I just today, actually, a couple hours ago, I just posted an interview I did with um, Cindy Gallup, "Make Love Not Porn." Do you know oh, her? Yes, she did a TED talk yeah. the year that I was there. Right. Yes, absolutely. Right. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just posted that, and the one before, from mid middle of last week, was um, Ginger Norwood, who's. Uh, 
87, I think, and uh, she was a pioneer in the space uh, program, uh, a mathematical genius, uh, went to MIT, you know, one of the first female graduates, Yeah, um, wasn't allowed to go to Yale for her PhD because Yale wouldn't accept PhD candidates, uh, women at that point, but she, uh, because her husband was studying in the PhD program, they allowed her to sit in on any class she wanted. So she essentially got her doctoral uh, knowledge at Yale without getting any credit and then went in and she designed the first Landsat. That was her project. Wow. Yeah, really, really great woman. How did you find her? She's the mother of good friends of ours uh-huh. in L.A., and we yeah. got to know her through through them. And I kept saying to her, you know, Ginger, you know, you got to let me do this. And yeah. they go, oh, she's very humble. Yeah. And, you know, it, yeah. you know, she's humble, and she's also uh, reticent to talk too much about uh, some of the juicier aspects of her life, because I think she had some pretty good adventures, right, and she right. was afraid I'd push her toward that. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. You needed to give her the Racer 5 uh, yeah. IPA. Well, we were drinking beer. Yeah. It's funny. I showed up at her yeah. house. Uh, this is in Topanga Canyon. Yeah. And I showed up at her house, and it was like 1 or 2 in the afternoon to do the interview. And she had some, uh, what was it, that nut brown ale. Ah, yes. You know, the, the nut brown Newcastle ale. Yes, nut brown nut ale. Newcastle. So, we, yeah, we were a little tipsy. Anyway, uh, so that's the company you're in. It's pretty good company. Pretty good company. Yeah. I love that you have a range from 87 and 11. Because, yeah. honestly, you don't hear enough from those ends of the age spectrum. And they're always... You know what I... My favorite thing at the... Uh, uh, was it the Golden Globes? And this is embarrassing because I'm admitting to you that I watched the Golden Globes. But the best thing they had was um, uh, they got a bunch of old people and sat them down and asked them about... The movies or what people were wearing, and that they were, they were the most entertaining. I mean, it was kind of you know yeah. exploiting old people because they were didn't really, they weren't up to speed and they didn't know who anyone was, but they right. were very entertaining. Yeah, old people. I aspire to be <laughs> an entertaining one of the old, old people <laughs> on the Golden Globes. Exactly. <laughs> at least, What's she wearing? At least you can be entertaining. <laughs> well, I've got an idea for a podcast that I haven't put into motion yet, but the idea is to interview old people, uh, and the catch is this won't be posted until you die. So say whatever the hell you want. This oh, is you yeah. speaking from the grave, you know, which could be kind of morbid, you know. That's perfect. That's but, great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I want to do it. I, I want that sort of like, yeah, I'm older and I don't give a shit kind of person, you yeah. know. I don't yeah. want someone like whining and feeling yeah. sorry, but... Well, you know, the prefrontal cortex starts to go, and they say anything. So you don't even need to, I mean, just just plug in the microphone. <laughs> so, so we could call it, like, you know, old people say the darndest things. Yeah, my, I remember my mother, uh, when my mother was in her 80s, and my mother was a good, very good Catholic, New Englander, Germanic background, uh-huh. as uptight as they come. And when she hit her 80s, that sort of, I guess, it, I realized later on it must be have something to do with the prefrontal cortex, which starts to uh, disintegrate and you don't you lose your impulse control. But I, rem- I remember I'm sitting in her uh, senior facility, and I asked her about the span of years between my brother and I, said, uh, my brother and I, and I said, so six years is quite a span for someone not using birth control. And, you know, you've got it coming to you when you bring something like that up. <laughs> my mother said, well, you're, yeah, your father 
your father had difficulty maintaining an erection. I'm like, hey, no, yo, TMI, yo. mom. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but, but I am convinced that was a product of the the uh, changes in the part of the brain that normally cause you to keep that information to yourself. But, but it did it's provide a blessing. an answer. Yeah, and it, uh, you know, and you have to wonder if there's not some sort of. I don't want to get into create, you know, intelligent design and all that, but th- there is some sort of uh, justice or or balance or beauty in in and like being old enough not to give a shit and just say whatever the hell yeah. you want. For a long time, I wanted I, I wanted to believe that this was my mother having held everything in all those years and dealt with my father and me and my brother and all the hassles of life that she had reached this point where she was just. Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm going to yeah. say anything. You ask me a question, I'm going to give you the answer you deserve. So, Yeah. Do you have a fuck it list? Uh, uh, things that, that one day I'll... <laughs> fuck it list. Did you just make up fuck it list right well, now? Not right now, oh. but I, I've, I've been toying with it for a while. The idea of, I love that. A fuck, a fuck it list. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't talk yeah. about it publicly because other no. people will take it. But, but the idea for me with the fuck it list is that you know, you've got... <laughs> Things that uh, you know you used that used to be on your bucket list, and then you get to a certain age and you say, "Fuck it, I'm not going to bungee jump." Are you kidding me? Yeah. Fuck that. Right. So yeah, bungee jumping is high on the fuck it list for me, uh, as well as well. I mean, my bucket list was was pretty humble, but bungee jumping for sure. I Tattoos. did. I, I did bungee jump. Did you? I did. So yeah. you can't get it. I on can't your get that on my. That's yeah. How was bungee jumping? Um, bungee jumping was uh, was interesting in that um, your uh, your brain, my brain anyway. When I find, I did it in New Zealand where they don't they don't uh, give you a harness. They they put a, a fraying rubber band woven thing around your ankles with an old towel, and they have you swan dive off a tiny plank that you hop out on like you're about to on a pirate ship be pushed <laughs> off the gangplank, and you're over a, t- a river. This was the second highest. It was in New Zealand. It was, over the, I think it was the second highest at the time. Yeah. It was first story, of course. And you hop out there with your ankles bound, and this guy with a obnoxious accent is like, "Yeah, right." So you know, I, can, I can't do a New Zealand <laughs> accent, but uh, and you jump and uh, and I. It took me a couple tries, and I couldn't do it. And finally, I thought I was shamed into doing it. But when you, you couldn't do, do it, it physically th- or just, psychologically, they counted down. Oh. Yeah, they counted down, and I just stood there. And <laughs> everyone was like, "Oh, <laughs> three, uh, two, two, one, nothing." No. Yeah, She's not jumping. Not jumping. So the s- <laughs> second time I did it, but your your I screamed without intending to, which I've never. Yeah done in my life. I didn't know until I saw the videotape or heard the videotape. There was this blood curdling scream that was me. Audible from Australia. (laughs) And my brain kind of went to the, you know that when the station signs off and there's the fuzzy gray? It did that for a second. And then it came back on and I'm looking at this river down below and of course the survival instinct is to Take in all this detail, so I have this memory of the the white caps on the river. This extreme detail, because of course my brain was like, "There must be a solution here. Perhaps we can figure a way out of this." The time uh, slow. Yes. Yeah. 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 It felt. uh, I felt like I had a lot of time to look at the river and contemplate the river, and of course it was a matter of seconds. So, uh, from a neurological perspective, it was fascinating. 
You ever read, I think it was Tim Cahill wrote an essay called The Scream of the Eagle is about parachuting. No, I haven't read that essay. I like him. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's a really good writer. Uh, I think it was in Outside Magazine like 20 years ago or something. Uh, and it was a similar kind of thing where he was, you know, assigned to jump up, right. do the skydiving, and but it was just parachuting. It was on a static line, but he got he eventually made it out of the airplane. But what I remember about it was that not only did he scream, you know, involuntarily, but there was a videotape that someone had taken of him, and you, he could see himself trying to run. <laughs> His legs were like, ah, like where are you running, man? You're, you know, nine thousand feet falling through midair. Someone just survived thirty-five hundred foot fall. A woman, a young oh woman. There's a photograph of her doing a press conference. How is that possible to survive? 30? She must have been. Did she land in drunk? like a, uh, a, haystack? a hay bale? Yeah, it's always the hay haystack. Yeah, bale won't do it. A yeah, stack. It's yeah, on Bugs Bunny anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's got to be a haystack. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So do you think at least you didn't do like the crane over the parking lot? No, you don't. That's actually the most brutal because it's so so low that there's very little bouncy bouncy. So right. that thing like. Whips you around and grabs you and stops you and your uh, uh, you people rupture uh, blood vessels in their oh. eyes and their eyes pop out oh, and they get no. little broken uh, little red spots. It's brutal. The and, higher and it's it so is, un- the more gentle beautiful. the bounce. So it's actually very fun to jump on a high. All right, I think there's a metaphor there. I think there's a there's metaphor. There's got to be a metaphor. There. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I leave that for. I don't know. It reminds me of one time I was speeding and I went through a speed trap uh, on the French, you know, some French highway. And it was two in the morning and I was going like 220 kilometers an hour in my friend's BMW. And we went under this bridge and the flash from the camera was so bright that it woke him up. He was like, boom, like, oh, what was that? And so we're like, oh, we are really screwed, you know. And we got up to the next pay station and the plaza and nothing happened. We went through, no problem. And then later, I was talking to some a cop about it, and he was like, yeah, you were going too fast. The cameras are set up <laughs> to catch people who are going, you know, 10, 15 to 30 right. kilometers over the limit. You guys were like yeah. 50K over the limit. And, and you were encouraged and rewarded or, or for Or more like behavior. 100K over the limit, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're going to go for it, go, go for, for it. it. You're going to yeah, rob exactly. a bank, don't ask for $10,000. I mean, right. come on. I used to work with a an office with a former bank robber who became a writer, and he uh, he... One day, robbed several banks in a, in a row, and I said, "Joe, what was the, what was, what's up with it? Just were you particularly moved that day? Were you?" And he said, "No." See, here's what it was: uh, the first bank, and I knew if I saw the woman had pushed the button in the first bank, and I knew they were coming for me, and I'm going down the street. And there's another bank, and I thought the last place they're going to look for me is, <laughs> in, a, a is in another bank. That's so I went great. in another bank, and I robbed that bank. Yeah. And did they, and they caught him? Uh, no, they didn't catch him that time. Really? You know, they caught him years later. I forget how, but it wasn't it wasn't in a bank. It was. And the thing that I love was that he uh, his name is Joe Loya. He's he's a. Uh, He's a writer now. I'm kind of lost touch with him, but he's uh, he's Latino. But on one of the security cameras, some of the person who looked at it said, thought that he was Arab, and they <laughs> called him the Beirut Bandit. Oh, so he nice. felt he felt that he could sort of move through the world, kind of immune because they're looking for the Beirut Bandit, and he's always Joe blaming Loya. it on the yeah. Arabs. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Was this pre nine eleven? I think it was. Pre nine eleven. Even back then. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, my wife's a bit of an Arab. You're not really Arab. You're Indian. Yeah, but still, still Muslim. Still not not trustworthy. <laughs> Casilda's here, I should mention. To the people who can't see us, which is everyone except us, Casilda is sitting here quietly reading her book, The War of Art, which was recommended by Joe Rogan. Yeah, Have you read that book? You ever heard of this? No, The War of Art. That's a great title. It's a good title, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's about, uh, you know, battling creative stasis and, you know, trying to, like, Mm -hmm. get to... Your your work, whatever it is. Do you ever have writer's block? You ever deal with that? Daily. Really? Yeah. Is, I, is yes. it writer's block, or is it no, just that writing's a pain in the ass? No, it's not. It's neither. It's um, it's 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 just mild self loathing, and uh, a sense. I, I when I read, uh, I'm constantly uh, reading other writers and and just kicking myself that I'm not doing. As I don't, I'm not as good as them. Really? I'm not, yeah. So no, this I, is your I, New England upbringing coming through here. And it's the reason I think I, I'm I'm honestly convinced that that's what's behind my success. Hmm. However much success I have, is that I'm constantly kicking myself to do and pushing myself to n- not be so lame. Because I, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't. I'm not one of those those uh, writers. Uh, I sit down and I, I just kind of. Put it down in a crappy way, and then figure. Well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go back and I'll fix it up, and I'll do it over and over and over, and I'm constantly massaging it and trying to make it better. Yeah. I mean, you know. But do you take pleasure in in it when you read it years later? Uh, often, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't until until it's out there and I get good feedback from uh, the outside world. I don't. I, I think it's horrible, and I, every single book, I think. This one's not going to. They're not even going to accept it. Hmm. This one's going to be. You know, not only will yeah, it won't be. A, it won't be oh, you mean a the publisher, failure. The, not the yeah, public. Yeah, it won't be a failure right. because they're not even going to accept it. Right. My first book, I turned in, and I didn't hear from my editor for two months after I turned it in. Two months. And I, ne- I didn't want to contact her. I didn't want to know what was going on. I assumed that it was a case, the case that she was saying. Well, I'll just. I'm going to put off this. It's going to be a difficult phone call. You're gonna to have to tell Mary that we're not accepting her book. Yeah. When I finally got the email, it took two. It took me two hours to get the courage to open it. Wow. And it said, "Hi, Mary. Sorry, I haven't gotten to your uh, manuscript yet. I'm hoping to in the next few weeks." What? <laughs> yeah. This was your first book. It was my first book. They, they get to it a little quicker now. Well, it's it's hard if you're an editor to kind of schedule. Uh, you know, you don't. Well, you're you were on a, a deadline, the of right? Else. They knew it was coming. It's, huh? Yeah, I give them a lot of. Slack. Oh, I cut them a lot of slack. I don't. I, I I had a terrible experience with the Harper, their publisher for the first book, uh, Sex, Sex at Dawn. Sex at Dawn, yeah. really? Oh yeah, terrible. What, could what not have been worse. What it, everything that could possibly happen. They were incompetent. But it was such a success. They were arrogant. They were yeah. It, despite, but despite them, despite them, they've never spent a dime on advertising. Never. They lied to me about you know how long it would take to get New York Times bestseller on the cover. You know, like it should take a week max. They told me it would take months. They had to go to a designer. Yada yada yada. I knew that was false because when Dan Savage said something really nice about the book, that was on the cover within a week. 
when I had any. And also, I went through like four editors in a year. Oh, you no. know, yeah, they uh, kept quitting no. and moving, and the publisher quit three months before it came yeah. out, so there was no long lead stuff. It took them two months to get another publicist. They transferred her from cookbooks. She had no knowledge no. of anything. It was just a fuck up. Oh yeah, and that happened to me in the UK. Yeah, it's stiff. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah. and the, I mean, I can accept fuck ups, but what I can't accept is, you know, you're a fuck up and you're arrogant. Yeah. And we actually had the, a conversation one time. We we're talking about the cover, and I didn't really like the cover proposal that they had. And and they said, well, we had some other ideas, but this one was the best. And I said, well, maybe you can send me some of the other things that you worked on, and we can brainstorm. Right. And they said, no, 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 you, the author can only see the final decision. The, and I said, why do you? Why are you treating me like I'm some petulant child? You know, I mean, right, really, right, right. I've been completely reasonable through this. And she said, well, we can't have the inmates running the asylum, can we? <laughs> I said, listen, I'm a psychologist. My co-author actually runs a mental hospital. <laughs> so maybe you picked the wrong metaphor, you 29-year-old yeah, dipshit. Right. Anyway, enough about that. So you... Have you published with the same publisher all the way? Or? I've had the same editor, the same publisher, same agent. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's I, unusual. You're very loyal. They've been great. They've I been haven't, great. But yeah. on the other hand, in the UK, I've had three different publishers, four or five different editors, 17 different publicists. So it's been a di- yeah. completely different scenario there. But um, And you, you do separate deals in the UK? Yeah, oh, yeah. The, oh, okay. the UK rights are sold right. independently. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's stiff. It's, you know, exactly the same book. Not a word changed. In the US, becomes a bestseller. In the UK, I would say a hundred copies. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because uh, there was um, for my edit. Well, the editor, the editor who bought it left. The person who took over wasn't interested in it. The um, publicity was fairly uh, small. And as it was being publicized, there's a distribution problem in the warehouse. The book was nowhere to be found. I would go, I'd wander around London in this jet lag state, and I'd go into bookstores and kind of look for the book. Oh, it's not, it's not here. It's not here either. It yeah. was like it was nowhere. Well, Sex of Dawn isn't in airports anywhere in the U.S., only foreign. Really? Yeah, because sex. Yeah. They're afraid to have sex in the airport. I don't know what the hell's up with that. It's, it's huh. crazy. All right, so I wanted to ask you, like you were talking about your motivation and how uh, a feeling of like you're never quite doing it well enough motivates you. Do you feel like, does that then doom you to never really enjoying it because it's always not good enough? No. No, I go through uh, with every cha- with every chapter, and with me, I'm starting over every chapter because I have a very short attention span, and every chapter is compl- changing completely, <laughs> completely changing new. topics. So, I, I go th- no, I go through I go through two days of uh, beating myself, being not fi- trying to figure out how I'm going to frame the chapter, or what's going to be, how I'm going to open it, what's the kind of structure going to be, and wanting to write up a few really good paragraphs so there's always two, there are always two days where it, nothing seems to work and um, it's just misery and then I break through that and have a sense of where where things are going how the chapter is going to look and then suddenly 
it starts to become fun. Like today was really fun. I have this chapter. Oh, I have a good. lot of good material, and it's good, and it's really fun. But there there are always two days where I think I can't do it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start with. This isn't going well. Hmm. It's just a pattern that happens over and over. Yeah. And I I cannot. I'm powerless to change, to kind of eliminate the two days of torture. It's just it's a process. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to, to hear about that because your writing is so joyful and humorous, you know? <laughs> to, I know. <laughs> to imagine you suffering somewhere and then like coming up with all these great lines and, you know, quirky quirky ways to talk about stuff. Yeah, uh, there's never a time when I'm sitting chuckling. No, you're not chortling to yourself. Chortling no. over at the keyboard over my own wit. <laughs> no, I would say with every book, I crack myself up once per book. Oh, really? I would say. And Only frequently, once? yes, and, and almost always it's not something I've written, it's somebody else's line. Ah. Like in Sp- I remember in Spook there's a chapter about ectoplasm which is, you know, spiritualist. See, it was the used to believe that this stuff that emanated from the medium was the spirit made physical and um, often they would regurgitate cheesecloth okay mm. and that was the ectoplasm and one of there's a transcript or one of the uh, one of the scientists was trying to communicate with the beyond about because he had this wad of wet cheesecloth which he believed to be ectoplasm you know the spiritual world and he says to the through the medium the material appears as if woven have you a loom in your world (laughs) (laughs) just just crack me up this really serious guy in a tie like in a suit communicating to the beyond trying to kind of just trying to figure it out right right have you a loom in your world <laughs> it's, it's freaking cheesecloth, dude. Figure it out. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, there's typically one moment where I'm cracking myself up. Well, your your process sounds a lot more noble than mine. Someone asked Cassie one time about my writing process. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. What? But she said, and she described it quite accurately. And she said, "Oh, yeah, Chris writes the way a dog shits. He gets all agitated, then goes around in circles for a long time, and then he squats, and it all comes out." That's pretty much how it works for I, me. Well, I, uh, one of the women I work with, Novella Carpenter, her, she, her line, her classic line is, poop it out, just poop it out, Mary, poop it out. Let it out, poop yeah. Poop it out. Now, do you feel when you've got a book, uh, like, uh, it, does a book come together in your head before you start writing, or do you work it no, out on the page? No, I work it out. I, 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 I start writing before I even know what all the chapters are going to be. I start really? writing before I've got enough material for the chapter sometimes. Are you I, still I, writing I, proposals at this point, or you just go ahead and write? I do write proposals, but they're very basic. Perfunctory. Perfunctory, yeah. yeah You've had so many like walloping successes that they're going to take whatever you give them. I, yeah, I do feel a need to put it down on paper, and partly I think that's a... A tactic. My agent encourages me to do that. I think because uh, if you have this document, it, it does kind of suggest that you have something you could take elsewhere. elsewhere. <laughs> uh, it's a so, negotiating but, uh, but it is such a perfunctory, as you said, yeah. a crappy document. That, and honestly, I couldn't take. People would laugh at me, like, "What is this? Right. This isn't a book proposal. This is like..." Well, they wouldn't laugh at you. They'd laugh at someone who they didn't know had a track record of success. I mean, I've noticed just from one book to the second book, it's a hugely different experience. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, you don't. I mean, I'm, there are lots of authors who don't. You just call your editor up and say, hey, how about... And with, with Bonk, essentially, I I did that. I was in a, a restaurant with my agent and my editor, and I told an anecdote about Masters and Johnson and the um, penis camera, and I said, the next book is sex research. The physio- you know, physiological sex right. research. And, and they're like, sign. Yeah, do it. Sign, sign me up. Is that your best-selling book to date? No, surprisingly. I thought it would be. Uh, hmm. Stiff has been the best-selling book. Uh, but Stiff's been around the longest time. Stiff, and I don't understand how this happened, got, got picked up as a high school and college reading. It's on a uh, lot of... And once you're, in, once you're on those lists, yes. everybody looks at everyone else's list and cribs from everyone else's list. There's a, a wonderful lack of imagination and creativity that goes on. They're like, what do you have? I'm going to yeah. do, do that, too. What really? do you got? Stiff? You got stiff? So oh, yeah, what, that's good. So what class is teaching using stiff? Stiff is, uh, we got um, English classes. We've got um, anatomy classes, science classes. Really? Uh, oh, uh, wow. Summer reading, common read programs if, for the particularly adventurous college or university. Really? Uh, every now and then they choose stiff as the common read. Nice. Uh, I think I think stiff, by the way, is about uh, death and, and how we deal it's with a, cadavers. It's, cadaver, yeah. uh, it's kind of post-mortem careers and interesting things that dead people have gotten up to over the years. Right. And, <laughs> Um, practi- practical uses for dead bodies. Did you, I don't know. You mentioned earlier you were looking at the list of guests I've had. Did you see Caitlin Doty? Yes, I love Caitlin. Do you know I her? Have, you yes, know? Oh, I was. Okay. Uh, I hung out with Caitlin at. There's a conference, and of course, I'm forgetting. It has to do with death. It's a. Uh, um, it's writers and artists and and poets and undertakers, hmm. and I forget because I'm an idiot. The name of there's it, but that, anyway, there's that self-loathing yeah, coming through. Know, wow, yeah. no. Um, anyway, Caitlin is is lovely and hilarious. She's great. We I, have I like a, her a uh, we we have the same publisher, mm. though not the same editor. Yeah. W. W. Norton has done well with death. Yeah. Thomas Lynch also the poet undertaker. Oh. Isn't that a great Lynch title? <laughs> He's a poet slash undertaker. Um, oh, oh, okay. I thought you were talking about his name. Oh no. A poet slash undertaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me just get in. Let's let's get into how this all started. You, you're from New Hampshire, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you grew mm-hmm. up in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're kind of a like a was it a a farm? Were you <laughs> no. on a farm? No, no? I wish I so. could say I grew up on a farm. <laughs> no, it's a college town, Hanover, New Hampshire, Hanover. a preppy little college town. And what's there, Middlebury or what, Dartmouth? Dartmouth. Okay. Dartmouth is there. My dad taught at Dartmouth. My mom was a secretary. What did your dad teach? Speech and drama. Oh. My dad was a theater guy. Oh. He was 65 when I was born, so he was a retiree as long as I knew him. But he had a, a really amazing life before I came into the picture, uh, doing theater, set design, directing, acting. I once did, a, uh, after the advent of uh, newspaper databases, I just put his name in, and he came up in all these summer stock theater from the 30s and 40s. Wow. Uh, and there would be reviews of him or mentions of his set design or whatever, or, 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 or writing contests that he had won. Just all kinds of random crap came up. And he, he had was an interesting 65 life. Sixty-five when you were born. How old was yeah, your mother? Forty-four. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you've got siblings who are have, all uh, older than you. One I guess. brother who's older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. My mother's that kind of situation. She's the youngest of five. No, she's the oldest of five siblings. But I think her father was like 
late 40s when she was born and early 60s when her youngest brother was born. Yeah, it's, they did it differently. Wait, wait, back wait. Then. She was in her early sixties. No, he was. Oh, he. Oh. when her yeah. he was yeah. in his sixties when her youngest brother. Oh, okay. Was born. Yeah, the last right, of the I was going to say, call the Guinness Book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, now now the loud the loud people at the bar have left. Yeah, well, yeah we're good here. Okay, we're good. Um, okay, so you grew up in New Hampshire. Did yeah, you go yeah. to Dartmouth? No, 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 no. Oh. I, well, I did in that all. All Hanover High School girls, when they're seniors, begin going to Dartmouth frat parties. Oh, you're so, looking for a husband, were you? No, just looking for a good time. <laughs> no, definitely not looking for a husband. That's not a good place to look for, in my opinion. Oh, really? Yeah. Why not? Uh, they're frat boys. It's uh, a very. It's the Animal House was based right. on the fraternities. Right. So yeah. you uh, you spend a year going to frat parties at Dartmouth, and you're pretty much done with Dar- yeah. Dartmouth. But by the time you're out of high school. So where'd you go? So I went to Wesleyan. Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. Yes, we we have an eclectic student. That was the word that was always applied. Oh, Wesleyan. It's an eclectic student body. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's still eclectic, but I, I had a good time there. I almost went to Hampshire College. Talk, Talk about, about eclectic. eclectic. <laughs> oh, yeah. You eclecticized us out of the water. <laughs> exactly. There. I, think you, I didn't yeah. go there. I almost went okay. there. I went there for an interview and looked around. But So you I, went where? Hobart. Hobart. Upstate New York. It's in Australia? Geneva, New oh. York. I'm thinking Hobart. Okay. Well, no, oh, okay. Hobart is the capital of Tasmania, I think. Ah, oh, you yeah, You might yeah. be thinking of that. That's right. Um, but, uh, no, Hobart College was... It was a strange place um, because it, in the 60s it was very uh, sort of anti-war. They, somebody blew up the ROTC office. It was mm-hmm. this sort of radical thing. Yeah. And But by the time I went there in 1980, it was... Um, like a Republican bastion, mm-hmm. you know. George Bush's niece was in my class, and uh, you know the heir to the to the Spalding fortune. It's and funny when they do the 180 like that. Well, because it was so expensive. Yeah, you know, no. and right. so the the faculty was still really radical and yeah. progressive, and the student body was completely right wing right. reactionary. Right. Right. And this was, you know, early Reagan. This was yeah. Nicaragua, the Contras. Like there was a lot yeah. going on. Yeah, and the students just didn't give a shit. So because I did, I sort of became the darling of the faculty. So right. it worked out really yeah, yeah, well yeah. for me. Yeah, but yeah, you know, it wasn't a. a it was a place you would go if. You know, your your father went to Princeton, and you could never get into Princeton. That would be like where you'd end up. Mm-hmm. Kind of when place. I was at Wesleyan, it was still aid blind admissions, which I at the time, because I was grew up in a sheltered, where I, I thought it meant that they um, helped blind people to go to college. <laughs> blind aid. Aid blind. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it was aid blind, meaning you got. Um, you got in based on your merits, right. and then when they and then they looked at how much money your parents had and whatever you needed, they gave you. Well, they don't. I don't. I'm sure they're not aid blind anymore. But at the yeah. and that helped them for a while maintain their eclectic student body. Where is Wesleyan? Middletown, Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. Middletown, Connecticut. Right. A little working class town where the backyards have little Marys on the clamshell, you know, little half shells. Oh, yeah. With a little kneeler where you can walk up and kneel and pray to Mary. Oh, really? So, it's, like, seriously Catholic? Serious, yeah, that's my, my memory is basically the place where you got the 
grinders or hoagies, you know, the grinders. Italian, the Italian wow. grinder place. I lived in Connecticut for a while, but it's all coming Damn back to me fine now. fine grinders. The best thing about Connecticut, in my opinion, is that they named the, the sporting teams the, the Huskies. The Yukon Huskies. I mean, I just love that. That's, you know, I mean, I don't. Is there another example? Did they name, did they name them Huskies because they? But they're. It's not that cold. Not that far north. Why are they the Huskies? Yukon. But it's Connecticut. Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, University of Connecticut. Yukon. Got it. Yukon. All right. Never even occurred to me because <laughs> yeah, it seemed a little so wait, odd. Wait, wait, that's it's my really, favorite yeah. thing about Connecticut, and, and I, it never it occurred to you. Well, no. that's good. Okay, you learned something that you'll never Yukon. forget in this little podcast that's session too today. Much subtlety for a sports team name. <laughs> I, th- I think it's great. It, and I was going to say it's like it's the first example. Like now you've got the Ducks in in Pasadena or wherever they are yeah. in L.A. You know the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Okay, that's funny, yeah. right? But that's a Disney thing, I think. Right. Right. Um, but the you. Yukon Huskies, that, that's the only example of an intentionally yeah. ironic... Yeah. I, I don't even know if irony is what it is. It's well, there's the Santa Cruz, the, the slugs. The, um, oh, the, slugs. the Santa Cruz um, banana slugs? Or it's a slug. Because <laughs> okay. they're all over the hills there, those revolting... Right. They look... They're very phallic. I've seen them. Yes, yeah, they're, they're like snails without shells. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they're big. And, and they're big. And so they're, I think it's the something covered slugs, in mucus. Slime. Have yeah. you written about mucus a lot? It seems I, like something you'd write about. about mucus. Yeah, mucus um, makes the world go round. I mucus, think. Mucus. I'm trying to think. Of, I mean, the word mucus. I think if you did a word search, probably you'd find mucus in most Mary Roach <laughs> books. But I can't say off the top of my head what I had to say about mucus. But yeah, it's in. It's you, always in there. What would you be mucus. a mu- mucologist? Mucologist. <laughs> a mucophile. Yeah, I'm a mucophile. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going to get another beer. Would you like another beer? No, I'm good with this one. I'm good. All right. Thank you. We'll pause this for a second while I get another IPA. All right, we're back. While I was uh, getting the beer, Mary mentioned to me that her, her husband, right? You're yeah, right. my husband. Uh, is at a memorial service for a clown who died. Yes. And will other clowns be at the funeral? Yes. Yes, in fact, I had dinner. One of them is in town for the memorial service. His name is Craig. Craig the Clown. So, I had dinner recently with a sad dinner with a sad clown. <laughs> with a clown, so there's like there are a lot of sad, sad clowns all in one place tonight. There, are, yes, it's a gathering of sad clowns. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm almost sorry. I'm missing. Yeah, it, it sounds appropriate. It sounds surreal enough to be in one of your books, one of your <laughs> yeah. mucus-filled books. There's, a, I realized. Yes, uh-huh. there's an there's an entire chapter on saliva, and there are two kinds of saliva. One is is essentially water and very beautiful and pure and. Um, when you collect it, as you can, in a, with if you have the right equipment, it just is. It is basically water with a few. This is mouth saliva. Mouth saliva, right? As opposed to throat saliva. Are there glands <laughs> in the throat? Because there's parotid. Well, you get the the nose mucus that goes down into oh, the yeah. throat that doesn't come up Which into is the mouth. Mucus and not saliva. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but there's a uh, there's the the other kind of saliva. Uh, is uh, very mucoid. It's, that's the one that upsets people a lot. That's the one, an alien that's coming out of them and that kind of strands and... and, yeah. and um, it's got a higher viscosity. Viscosity, yeah, I love that word. Yes, it's very viscous and mucoid. Yeah. yeah. Well, Cassie knows a lot about mucus. Don't you, honey? You know a lot about mucus. Yeah. 
And then there's the mucus layer. She's a doctor, you know. The, mu- the mucus layer there's of what? There's the mucus of layer. The, the mucus layer is of what? Of cheesecake. No, um, it's a different recipe. I've not had that kind of cheesecake. <laughs> The, no, the, the stomach has a mucus layer. Oh, right. Which, which is which, protective for, so yeah. against the acid. So there's... Right, yes. which is the, an ulcer is when that's yeah, eaten right. away that's or gone. Right. Yeah, yes, right. yeah. So, and then I'm sure Bonk had some mucus, for sure. There was mucus. Plenty, of, plenty of mucus. And Stiff had some upsetting mu- <laughs> mucus. Not mucus, mucoid textures. Like um, there's that froth that comes out of the nose... Via the, when the the brain disintegrates, there's some some frothing of the frothy. Nose. It's frothy purge. Thank you very much. Frothy purge. Yes, it's frothy purge. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So all right. Wait. I, I don't want to lose the thread completely. This is called tangentially speaking, but I do try to keep some focus. So we we went. You were in college. What are you studying in college at Wesleyan? Oh, in Connecticut. It's the usual crap. I was a liberal arts liberal major. Arts, I didn't really blah, think blah, about blah. it. My, nobody thought about a career then. Right. And, I wanted to travel junior year and get out of there, so I chose the major that would be easiest to apply the credits, uh-huh. and that happened to be psychology. Oh. So I'm a psych major, oh. but I I never had any plans to do All anything right. with it. Or so how did you become you? How, how did when where was the transition to aimless college student to best-selling author? Well, I I came out to San Francisco randomly as people did back then, and I got a job. You and I are about the same age, I think. I'm 54. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. okay. So, so I came out, yeah, I came out so here So, what's that, the late 80s? 81, graduated oh, okay. in 81. All right. Yeah. Uh, copy editing and f- uh, proofreading I did a little right. of, but I'm, I'm really constitutionally poorly suited for that because that's a job that requires you to read carefully and notice that th- something was capitalized differently in chapter 14 than it was in chapter 2 yeah. and I would go, yeah, who, but who cares? Yeah. Nobody's going to notice, which is not the attitude that you want to have as a copy <laughs> editor. <laughs> so that lasted a couple of years and I realized it would be easier to write stuff. Yeah, I was I was editing such horrible garbage that I realized it would be easier to write the garbage myself. It would be less <laughs> I can of write a better hassle. Garbage than this. Less of, well, this is a, yeah, this is what propelled me to my career. It would be less of a hassle to write the garbage myself than clean it up for someone else. Wow. And then I got a job at the San Francisco Zoo writing press releases and membership magazine articles and I thought, well this is kind of fun and so I did that for a while, and then I started freelancing for various magazines. I did a lot Reader's of magazines. Reader's Digest. Weren't you a big I did have a col- No, I, had a, I never wrote articles, but I had a humor co- a column. Humor, in quotes. Right. <laughs> I had a column, right. which was very fun and very embarrassing. So from, the, from early in your career, you were, uh, I don't want to say specializing, but you, you knew you were good at humorous... Uh, like a nice humorous twist yeah. in the, the it was, content. It was also the most fun for me. Yeah. My my main motivating force was, will it be fun for Mary? Mm. So that was, it was fun to choose topics that enabled you to write, in that enabled me to write in that way. So. That's a great thing. And to be able to make some money at it and, and have success at it. I've got a good friend who's a writer who uh, Richard Schweid is his name mm-hmm. and he he's published seven or eight books probably and you have no idea what he's doing next right yeah, his yeah. last one that just came out recently is about octopus yeah it's just like a natural history of the octopus. Before that, it was um, it was called the what was it? the Hereafter. Uh-huh. It was a book about 
life after death or yeah. what people believe about what happens when we die. And then, we, you know, there was the cockroach papers. There was something about chili peppers. There was something about old cars in Cuba. You know, it's just yeah. like whatever interests him, he yeah. writes a book about it. But yeah. the difference between him and you is that you, you've successful and nobody reads his books. And I, it's too bad because he's a really good writer. And he needs a different agent. Well, see, that's what I said to him. And he said, oh, I've had the same agent, you know, since I started out. And, and I that's said, his problem. Well, I said, how many books has she sold for you? He said, none. <laughs> I said, but she's a lovely but lady. But I love her. It's like, yeah. yeah, but that's not mm. how you do business, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Agents are so important. Yeah, yeah. But you said you've stuck with the same agent all these years. I have. I have a great agent. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I must be a hard ass because I dumped my agent. I well, but your changed agent publishers. wasn't doing a good job. Well, I felt she wasn't because honestly, uh, every time you know I got into a situation with the publisher where it was like, hey, you know, what yeah. the hell? She said, you you don't understand. This is just how it works. Like, no, no, I don't no, want to no, hear no, that. No, your agent is the badass on your behalf. Yeah, well, your this, agent she was is not. the person. My agent. Jay Mandel is uh, he's a lovely guy I can't, and when I go to New York I love to have dinner with Jay love the guy but he's he he lives for confrontation <laughs> so it's like a you lawyer know? you want someone he's, he to, wants, to, like he'll, if bulldog. I'm upset about something and it's usually stupid but you know but it's something that's sort of eating away at me and, and I'll call him up and I'll I'll talk about it and he'll go do you need me to make a phone call <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah. that's good that's what yeah, you want, yeah. He's, and he's not, but he's, you know, he's uh, he knows, he plays by the rules. I mean, an agent is by definition a little bit of an asshole, but it's an asshole that plays by certain rules. And the, yeah. and the editor knows those rules, and it's a kind of dance that they do, and they both know the rules, and they can be friends. I mean, I have dinner in New York with my editor, my agent, and myself, and as far as I can tell, they get along famously, even yeah. though every few years they have to have a... A difficult conversation, or you know, not difficult, but a little bit stressful about I don't know whatever the deal, the deal. They have to right. do the deal, right. and I'm so happy to be removed from that. Yeah. I don't want to know what's going on, blow by blow. Just let me know when it's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, you, do your books go to auction? The first, the first one did, but I've never changed publishers. So oh, they so you just go straight with them? Do yeah. you still do advances, or do you just publish straight up? Oh no! There's it's always done with they, a, in advance. They yeah. still do an advance. They do it, an advance. I know yeah. some writers who stay with the same publisher and they just don't take advances. They said I, this one guy in particular just said I don't I don't want an advance. What do you mean? The, so they just so earn it's just straight straight royalty? into royalty? Yeah, well, yeah. that's brave because if the I book guess. doesn't sell, they're really screwed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, you're screwed anyway, right? If the book doesn't sell, then your next advance is going to be smaller, and you've got you know. Sure. Yeah, One way your or another. stock goes down. And, yeah. And yeah, right. But for that particular book, you're guaranteed a certain amount. You're guaranteed amount of, some money, yeah. Some money. But, of course, yeah, if it, if, it, if it doesn't perform, then the next one, yeah. the advance will be a lot smaller. And do you work on deadline? I do, do yeah. You, do I you do. need that to, to get it done? Uh, no, but it's, it's good to have it. Hmm. It's good to have it because I, you know, you know how that is. A project just expands to fill the amount of right. time that right. you give it. So if you give it ten years, <laughs> it'll take ten years. So I, I do need yeah. it in that sense, but I'm not. You know, it's a, it's a pretty relaxed deadline. Yeah, I'm not yeah. one of those authors who they want. I mean, some of those young adult. I mean, those people are putting out two books a. They're cranking out two books a year. Yeah. Or, or I mean, there there people. Or if it's a timely subject matter and you've got nine months to yeah, like Sarah Palin. Months, 
Yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it. Have you heard about this um, Sasquatch porn? Was there a segue there that I missed? <laughs> There's no segue. Okay, no, Sarah Palin. Just something about churning out books, you know. Yeah. Just Alaska could have been, yeah. Um, no, Sasquatch porn. Sasquatch porn. It's like a, a big thing. Is this thing. sort of like a, a, an offshoot of the furries? These are people dressing up in Sasquatch. No, this is a book genre. Uh, or maybe it's not even a genre. Maybe it's only this one author who self-publishes, and she does this Sasquatch porn. And she self-publishes on Amazon. She was making like thirty grand a week on this, or maybe it was a month, but it was a lot. And it's it's fiction with a fiction. with a centralized. Care- like a, a you know innocent oh, uh, young girl goes for a walk in the woods and Sasquatch you know grabs her and drags her off into the rhododendrons, and next thing you know, like you know they're in love. You know, <laughs> it's like Sasquatch instead of Fabio, essentially, yeah. is what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, and the same chest size, probably. You know, I I, I won't I tell Fabio. this whole story. You met Fabio? I yeah. Uh, I've never met him, but I had sex with the same woman he did. Really? Yeah, which I which disturbed me a lot when I heard that. But the way I heard it was. It's a long story, which I won't go I into. Love, like, we, we have dueling Fabio stories here. How many people can say that? <laughs> I know, exactly. But the, it was this woman I, I knew a long time ago, and she got sort of obsessive. And with I, you or Fabio? With me, probably with Fabio, yeah. too, but with me. And, and I was talking with a friend of hers, and I, and, and I said, like, what what is with her? What's the problem? And she said, well... You know, I shouldn't tell you this, but she said you were better than Fabio. I was like, Fabio? The Fabio? Oh, oh, that's gross. Anyway, what's your Fabio story? Well, but better than Fabio could be damning with faint praise. <laughs> could or it, we don't know how good Fabio is, so that's yeah. the missing part of that I think she said equation. even better. Even, even better, than, better Fabio. than Fabio. Yeah. Okay. Well, I had, I, I had a very short-lived career as a celebrity interviewer. Oh. And my first assignment was Fabio. <laughs> and Fabio, not... First and last first, assignment? No, 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 no. no. It, it went on. I, I, it, it, it went on for about... Uh, I think I probably did five altogether, mm. including Tom Cruise. Oh. Uh, but Fabio was... Um, Fabio was lovely in that he was so, uh, perhaps because not that many people interview him, but he was so forthcoming that his handler would have to sit there and put the brakes on him. Like, he'd start to talk about God and how stupid religion was, and his, his, his handler would go, Fabio, darling, Enough. let's not talk about that. But Fabio, I was, I was interviewing him because he had come out with a cookbook. Oh, really? Is Fabio Italian? Yeah, I Is guess he really? so. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Uh, but Fabio, uh, but he... It was ghost-written, obviously. Yeah. And, and I'd say... I kept trying to bring the conversation back to the cookbook. I'd say, Fabio, so there's a muffin recipe. And he'd go, muffin? What muffin? <laughs> I said, Fabio, your cookbook. Right. Oh, yeah, my cookbook. And, I, and I, I'm very confused. I'd say, I'd say, Fabio, okay, you're a model for romance books. And, now you, and you're an actor. And you sell some kind of butter. And now you're a chef. I'm like, Fabio, I don't understand you. On your... <laughs> income tax return where it says occupation. Yeah. What do you write? And he said, Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to write <laughs> yeah. ne- next year. Fabio. What do you do for a living? I'm a Fabio. He was lovely. The photographer and I were there for a while and he's very into um, hi fi equipment. Uh, was this, this in Miami? No, he's in LA. Oh, no. And he wanted, he put, he said, you've got to hear this. And he, Put on Terminator 
2? What the one where Schwarzenegger starts out naked in a parking lot, cr- hunched over? Never saw it. The, the, apparently the soundtrack is amazing. <laughs> so Flavia puts that on and he's like, listen, listen to this, listen to this. And then he goes, you guys can stay. You want to watch the movie? And you know, we're like, oh, gotta yeah, go. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. He, he, he could have hung out with yeah, Paul. No, he was lonely. He was, I think he was a little lonely. He's like, here's my phone number. Call me if you're... Yeah, I mean, he was. I think he was a little bit lonely. Yeah. So. Well, that's, that's kind of nice to hear about Fabio, actually. He's, yeah, a, he's yeah. a real guy. So who were you doing that for? A USA Weekend, which was the little insert in USA Today Sunday that uh, everybody throws away. Uh, the the quote-unquote magazine portion. And it was short-lived because you didn't like it, or just you weren't good with celebrities? Oh, no, or it was what? short-lived because well, the, they switched editors. They called me because they wanted to have people who didn't do celebrity profiles do celebrity profiles because they're so dull. So they, they had this idea that the writer will... Do something fun. Like in your Mary Roach style. Yeah, and you'll go and do something. Like Tom Cruise is an aerobatic pilot, instrument-rated aerobatic pilot. So yes. Wow. So I went flying in an open cockpit, (laughs) two-seat biplane with Tom Cruise. Baron, the Red Baron kind of thing with Tom Cruise. With Tom Cruise, a beautiful little uh, white and red biplane out over from the, left from the Santa Monica airport, out over the ocean on a beautiful day. And barrel rolls, uh, hammerheads, which is where you go straight up. You cut the engine and plumb it down and start it and pull out at the last minute. And on the second hand... Were you screaming involuntarily? I wasn't, no. I actually, for some reason, had all kinds of trust that, you know... Did you have a big scarf on? I should have. I should have had a big (laughs) scarf. No, nothing was waving in the wind except on the side, in the little... Seat pocket there on the side was a little. It's called a six sack. Yeah, I'll bet. Okay, yeah. and on the second hammerhead, I was about to use the six sack. And yeah. here's the thing: in a two seat biplane, the passenger is in the front. So if I hurled, it would <laughs> have gone, Tom's face. blown back into Tom Cruise's face, and he's very germ conscious. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And this would have killed him. <laughs> he would have. He, this, he never would have recovered. And you both would have died because he would have been freaking out. I know. The plane, the plane would have plummeted to know. earth. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how was Tom? What was that like? Tom was um, so uncannily likable. Really? It was very strange. In all the all my years of interviewing people, no one has ever called me up when the story ran, particularly celebrities, but also scientists, anybody. Nobody has called me at home and said that they loved the story and read aloud their favorite passage. He did that. He called me several times. He called me like to say, oh, my mom doesn't want to talk, but I'm really sorry. And then he called another time to say, what did you, so I wanted to ask you something and follow up about, what did you say about Kevin Sessoms? And, and, and he was, he was uh, oddly, um, he, he, he uh, invited me to the Mission Impossible Premiere party. Did you go? I did. Yeah, a friend of mine and I went down there and went to it. His, wow. Yeah. No, he was. Uh, he was not like you would think. And I don't know if that's a Scientology strategy for winning someone over because I've that's told this thinking, story yeah. so many times, yeah. spreading the gospel of what a great guy Tom Cruise is. Right. Which yeah makes sense from either Scientology or just from a, you know actor's point of view, right? But of he, public relations. Um, he had. 
had, we talked about sumo wrestlers a lot because he had read a story I'd written about sumo wrestlers because I think he vet, like he's crafty in that he reads the clips of the people who are going to come and interview him. Right. So he had a so sense He probably of, has people who prep him, right? I mean, he must have someone who reads your stuff and then like... Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess so. But anyway, he, yeah, I don't know what was behind it all, but it was, uh, it was an interesting day. You ever met Philip Seymour Hoffman? No. Yeah. No, I, ne- I never have, and I guess I never tell me will. I look like him, and now it's re- making me really sad. You, it always made me sad, but now in well, a different way. Well, you look way. like a really good-looking but version. Thank you. That, see, that's what the smart people say. Occasionally, someone will say, you look like Philip Seymour Hoffman's younger, better-looking brother. And I'll be like, okay, there's someone who's used to talking to people. Well, Most people yeah. can say, yeah, you look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. You know, you, the, the you know it definitely has to be qualified because, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> like, yeah, if you let yourself go to seed for about a decade <laughs> and okay. I knocked on the door at 5 a.m. after you've been up all night <laughs> drinking and... Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That would, I'd, I'd have the look. Yeah. yeah. Do, you ever, do people ever mis- like mistake you for him? Um it's hard to say well, not now, if guess, they really be. did, but yeah. I mean, I, I had a, I was represented. I, I don't know. I still may be, but I'm not sure. Represented by United Talent Agency in L.A. And yeah. so when I'd go in there for meetings, I, there'd be a lot of double takes, and I assume people were thinking, "Is that Philip Seymour Hoffman?" Yeah. Otherwise, why are they? You know, of course, why do yeah. they care? Right. Yeah. But yeah. that's like a high, you know, a high frequency celebrity zone. So right. maybe it's right. more likely there. But yeah, yeah I don't know. Well, it's odd. It must be strange when it's somebody who's... I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman has a certain charm, but he's not... Uh, I mean, you're yeah. a good-looking man, oh, and I don't you. think that oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman you. is particularly... You're a yeah. Well, no one does. That's right. the so irony. That's what's a, like, and no I one ever said, who's... like, wow, you're as talented as Philip <laughs> Seymour Hoffman. You're as charismatic. No, yeah. I never got that. It was just like, oh, you look like... I have a friend, who, um, uh, Tim, who went to see Nebraska. You know, the... the, the Bruce um, Dern. Bruce Dern. Yeah, yeah okay. The uh, who is it? Um, Alexander Payne movie, and he's coming out of the film, and a woman comes up to him and says, oh, "You were so good." She thought it was Bruce Stern, and, and he and I said, and I had to kind of stop myself because I, I looked at Tim and I was like, "Actually, you really do." <laughs> really, but in, a, but in a you know late Dern, <laughs> but Dern in Nebraska, yeah, he really did look yeah. like Dern in Nebraska. But you don't really want to say that to someone. Yeah, yeah, I don't get. I get. Uh, no, I don't get any. Compa- I don't look like anybody. <laughs> I don't look like anyone, good or bad. Or if I do, they it's somebody that's so awful they say it behind my back. <laughs> well, it's true. I'm looking. I'm you know, trying to think. Like, who do you look like? I got, a the only famous one I ever person. got was you're, Patricia you're, Hodge, which I don't. I don't know I don't her. Know She's some British is. actress. Yeah, no, no idea. Well, we were talking earlier about uh, people get your name wrong. If if someone forgets my name, they always call me Steve. So, yeah, you look like a Steve. I guess I do, or not you know, a Philip. They Philip don't say Philip. Philip Steve Moore. Steve. But yeah, like, how maybe, does that make you feel to be I, a whatever? Steve. I mean, there was a book, The Tao of Steve. Do you ever I'm hear not about familiar that? With the Dow there was Steve. this whole thing about Steve McQueen and his uh, particular oh, style okay. of cool, yeah. and if you want to be a Steve, I think there was a movie too. Um, not a particularly good movie, but. I just always thought it was strange that, you know, if you're casting... No one's ever called me John or Bill or Will it's or always it's always Steve. Steve. It's funny. I, yeah, I, I met this woman recently who is 
a gale, but I cannot. Uh, to me, she's a Phyllis, and I keep saying it over and over. Uh, Phyllis and and my family. She's uh, you know in the family, and my stepdaughter got married recently, and this is an aunt, and I call her. Phyllis, I can't think of her as Gail, and I, I, I'm sure she's she'd be insulted. I don't know for some reason Phyllis well, sounds uglier insulting? than Gail. I don't know. I don't know. But I think people. I uh, sadly, I think I I may look like a Mary, and that's a really kind yeah. of a horrible, well, it's not bad. Well, it's horrible fate. I don't know. Casilda's name is. I think it's a beautiful name, Casilda. Yeah. It's such yeah, a beautiful yeah, yeah, yeah. sound. But apparently in Portuguese, it's like Mildred. It's like some name from a hundred years ago that nobody. So she hates it because of the association. But I, I just it, hear yeah. it as a collection right. of sounds, you know. Right. What no, about Roach? Did you get trouble with Roach when you were a kid? Roach. Because that you know, well, Roach, grade school. Me a Roach clip. Some uh, cockroach. Co- yeah, my neighbors. I had grew up in a. I didn't grow up in the preppy town of Hanover. I grew up in a little community called Etna, which was uh, kind of a redneck town and. I spent all my time with the, um, the next-door neighbors who were, uh, you know, the dad owned a gas station. The mom, you know, yeah, they were pretty, they cut off the chicken's head on the stump, and they had guns and jeeps, and I oh. just lived over there, and I yeah. loved them. And uh, probably credit them with who I am today more than my own parents. But um, what were you talking about, names? Roach, if you Roach. had trouble with oh, Roach. Okay. Yeah. So Jeff Balch, one of my neighbors, uh, called me cocky, as in roach, cocky. But then, you know, sometimes just to, to abbreviate it, hey, cock, I'd be co-. So people would be in an affectionate way wrong. calling me cock. Do you know cocks don't have cocks? It's something no, I learned cloacas. recently. Cloacas. Yeah, they've exactly. got holes that they align, yeah. right? A cloacal kiss. Clo- yeah. Isn't that a w- so strange. I know that's that is. I never thought about that. Chickens clocks have no taints. Clocks, cocks don't have cocks. <laughs> How embarrassing for them. <laughs> I guess. But yeah. either that, or they just had a really good PR person who just said, "We're gonna, we're gonna name, we're gonna come up with slang for the male genitalia, and we're gonna name it after you, so no one will guess Even if you don't have any. That yeah. you don't have it, because how could you not have it if you're a cock? It's so right? weird. Like in Spanish, the word for penis, cock, yeah. like not penis, you know, clinical, but like the slang word, is a feminine word. Polla. And the word, like the equivalent of cunt, is a masculine word. What's like, really? Yeah, coño. Wow. El coño y la polla. Like, why would you do that? Po- I mean, polla? Polla? Like yeah. chicken? No, chicken. Pollo is oh, chicken. chicken. Polla is. Which leads to some confusion. Yes, I once ordered because... breast of cock in a restaurant, <laughs> and the waitress <laughs> laughed her ass off. And said, uh, from whom? And the Canadian guy, or the Canadian, the Colombian guy I was with was dying. I had no idea. I was learning Spanish, and I was at the point where I thought I could clarify that I did not want a leg. I wanted breast meat, right? right? And I went for it, and just hilarity ensued. It was not good. Yeah, it's always, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, traveling in Greece with a friend, I thought, I didn't know much Greece, much Greek. And I passed a woman one morning, and I called her a squid. So I said, instead of, I said, calamari. Don't, don't instead make me of, 
spray my IPA. <laughs> I, said, I said calamari instead of calimera, which is good morning. I just said squid. And another time, I was in Morocco, and I travel. I, you know, I like to try out my language. I know, I, you know, I, I yeah. learn a little bit, and I think, ah, I can use this. I can. Yeah. And I met this German guy. And he was leaving town. He was going to go back to Germany with some hash up his butt. That's incidental. <laughs> As I don't one mean, does. He's probably languishing in a cell somewhere. But anyway, I'd ha- I was taking German, and there'd been a conversation that I had to memorize. And one of the lines was, Gute Reise, mein Zug. And I thought that it meant, Gute Reise is have a good trip. I thought, mein Zug was my friend. But it means... What, what he was saying was, have a good trip. There's my train. Zug is train. Ah, so ah. I said to this guy, Guter Reise, mein Zug. <laughs> <laughs> so I called him my train. Yeah. Very uh, Freudian. Yeah. Very yeah. Freudian. Yeah. Have a good trip, my train. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cass- Cassie speaks seven languages. Uh, English is among the last. And wow. So she still comes up with some some howlers, some dillies. The yeah. other day, she said, well, "While we're around San Francisco, let's go visit the red bushes." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of red bushes. <laughs> They're red ones. They're and the Castro and the <laughs> South yeah, of Market. Exactly, and, exactly. So what's what's coming up next for you? Like Bonk uh, came out what two years ago? Oh gosh, Bonk was no, no. Wait, there's something gulp, after gulp. Gulp, gulp was uh, after two of them after and uh, the Mars, from Mars, the Mars thing, right? And gulp. Uh, the paperback of Gulp is ap- comes out in April. Oh, the paperback comes out in April. Yep. So, right. so another that, book tour. Oh, wait, how long after? One year. Well, one year. One year. Okay. So, yeah. all right. so you're doing another book tour? Yeah, no, not a big one. Because my stepdaughter is uh, uh, giving birth sometime early April. So I'm oh. trying to stick around. And then the book comes out early April. So I'm doing local stuff. And then I'll go do a little. Uh, I think I've got seven or eight. Other cities, like TV stuff, or, or no, mostly or speaking events. events? Uh, nobody does TV on the paperback for the most part. Yeah, right. Every now and then you see, like, it's like Sarah Val came on the Daily Show twice. Oh, well, paperback she's and hardback, friends but with everybody. Okay, but right? paperback and hardback, same book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was impressed. Yeah. yeah. What, well, you've been on the Daily Show. Yeah. What, how do you compare the Daily Show versus Colbert for a guy like me who's never uh, aspires to one yeah. of them? Yeah. Well, the thing you need to know is when I went on Colbert, it was the second week of the show. Oh, I didn't know what fresh. the shtick was. Oh, you didn't know? No, because they I hadn't. Warn you? I didn't. No, they did. My, my well, Ed, my husband, I was on tour, and he kept saying, "You need to see this show before you go on. Just <laughs> yeah. watch one." Yeah. So I did. I watched one. Which wasn't very representative. Uh, so I wasn't. I knew his shtick. I knew what he was, but I wasn't. I didn't realize you need to just fight back and throw yeah. it back at him. Yeah. So I was. He did. He wanted. It was a setup. He wanted to do a fake séance. So that's why I came on, and that went fine. But the, the conversation was a little uh, uh, not uh, because I didn't know. Quite what I was supposed to do, right, so right. Uh, so that was my, the end of my Colbert career. But I've been the Daily Show. I got invited back, so that was a relief. So, so well, I've done the Daily Show. My understanding is you can do one but not both. They'll never duplicate guests. Yeah, for any right. given book. Right. That's right. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Well, do you know Dan Savage? I've never met him. I, of course, I know him. Yeah. Of him. Yeah. Well, he's, he's been on Colbert so many times. And yes. He's yes. like the he's one. Yeah. yeah. He's really good. He's so sharp. At so knocking quick. Colbert yeah, back. He's, yeah. He's a perfect, perfect yeah. guest for Colbert. Yeah. Colbert wants you to kick him back as hard as possible. The harder, the better. Although what I've heard from other friends of mine who have been on Colbert is that they tell you don't try to be funny. Don't no, try to true, play with him. But kick, throw it back at him because right. he wants it to escalate because then yeah. he has more fun because yeah. then he's come back at you harder right yeah, um, yeah but they do they, in fact Colbert says that to you or his person says don't just don't, don't try to be funny yeah um, and and I think that's good advice for the daily show too because the humor comes from just responding uh, and the, the only mistake people make I think with the daily the daily show is so easy he's such a sweetheart yeah. the only thing you can do wrong is if you have a Kind of your spiel that you want to get out there, or or points that you want to make, and you force yeah. them in and derail the conversation. You just have to sit down as a blank slate, just look into his eyes, yeah. and know that he's going to take you somewhere hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the the second time I was on, he picked up, and they do a pre-interview. Okay, this woman calls you up, and you're on the phone for 45 minutes talking about the book. And you go on the show, and invariably, you will talk about nothing that was discussed in the pre-interview. Because right. he's going to latch on to, like in the case of Gulp, he got off, uh, he got into um, rectal alimentation, which is the fact that you can eat backwards, you can absorb a certain amount of nutrients through your rectum. Right. If you can't, if you can't swallow, or there's a, you're throwing up, or whatever the, <laughs> whatever it is. You can, yeah, if like you can't eat forwards, yeah, you can eat backwards. Through the mucosa. Uh, rectal alimentation. So he, um, oh, look, we've got some Oakland police action. Yeah, a lot of it. Um, so so he had me stick around, you know, he goes, oh, can you stick around? And so the, the oh, second, for the web thing? Yeah, yeah, so the second half was all rectal alimentation, and it was... It was so much fun. It was just like, I don't want it to ever end. Yeah. I just want to <laughs> Can stay, I stay here forever. <laughs> Let me stay. <laughs> Do you get compared to, to David Sedaris a lot? Do you hear that? No. No? No. Just because he's no. a, for the humor? Are no. you? Do you think are you best known as a science writer or a humorous writer? What, what's just your... Neither. I'm just... Um, People apply the term science writer, but I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't have a science degree. I don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about to the extent that I need to know for each chapter, but uh, I, I it, it feels belittling to real science writers to call mm. me a science writer. And likewise, humorist. I'm no David Sedaris, or uh, I'm trying to think of another. Uh, <laughs> There's only one. Apparently, there's only <laughs> there's one. There's only one funny writer. <laughs> you know, Calvin Trillian. But yeah, yeah. Calvin Trillian is also a good reporter. I'm trying, you know, Dave Barry or, yeah. or uh, people who are just, you know, who just do humor and do it mm. so well. I could never do that. I'm just kind of a science goober. Mm. Not, I don't know. So your your focus on science is just because you're fascinated by it. Yeah, it's it's very interesting subject matter, and I kind of I like the fact that people learn something, and I like. Mm. I like people to. I mean, most of the books are have to do with the human body because it's endlessly interesting to me that we go through this world inhabiting these things, our bodies, and we manage to ignore them most of the time. You think of yourself as, you know, your 
this sort of mind, right? Spirit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, you're, you're, but you are this amazing pile of mucus and bone and blood, and and it, and it's amazing that it all works. And I just, I, I like the idea that every that people read my books and they get maybe a little bit of respect or awe for hmm. that bag of guts and bones. So I prefer to think of it as stardust. What? We're made of stardust. Stardust. <laughs> <laughs> and mucus. Stardust, and, stardust mucus. and mucus. <laughs> so if you... if you That'll be my title of my memoir. Stardust and mucus. Stardust and mucus. <laughs> stardust and snot. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you hadn't done this, what what would be your your second choice career? Would you be a doctor? No, no, I, no. I wouldn't. I never. I didn't take any. I didn't take any math or science in college. So your fascination with the body doesn't extend to like wanting to cut it open. And no, not at all. No. Uh, well, because because science and, and medicine now have become. I mean, we're on the molecular level. It's all. Yeah. It's protein receptors and yeah. enzymes and genetics. And uh, I think I, when you dive into that, it becomes as interesting as it is to me at my level. But. It's so hmm. focused. I, I I like to skate around and keep myself in a perpetual state of wonder. And uh, so, just, is writing like one of the few ways to still be a generalist? I guess you know? it is. Cause, I guess because we're is. visiting all these specialized yeah, worlds. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, and I'm very wedded to being a general. So I have a very short attention span, and I don't want to study hard, and I don't want to. Go deep. Yeah. I want to just stick with it as long as it's interesting, and then bring the reader along and skip on to something else. That describes I my, my love life, like through <laughs> yes, my twenties, thirties, and forties. <laughs> my twenties and thirties, yes, <laughs> yeah. definitely. I'm skipping along. Yeah, I'm skipping yeah. along. I think yeah. the Almond yeah. Brothers are out about that. For, yeah. <laughs> So, all right. So, oh, wait a minute. Before, before I completely forget, what about your other celebrity interviews? Who, who else? And what? Oh, Nicholas wh- Cage. Oh, Nicholas yes. Cage. Nicholas Cage. Okay. What was that like? Was he nuts? Have you he, seen the Bad Lieutenant? Yes, the, the, yes, with yes, the yes, Vri- yes. The Werner yeah. Herzog. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was wild. Yeah, he's um, he's really intense. Nicholas Cage. Well, this was in keeping with the theme of writer goes and does something with right. the celebrity. We don't have to talk about acting. Oh, it's all it's all you're out like doing I something. Went right. Flying right. with Tom Cruise. And what Nicholas you do with Fabio? Cage, you listen uh, to Fabio music. Fabio was would listen to stereo hi-fi components <laughs> and talked about German wiring. And then we went for driving his Hummer. <laughs> One of really? two. I believe he had two. You were in Fabio's yeah, Hummer. I was in Fabio's that Hummer. That should be the name of your memoir. <laughs> I wrote in Fabio's Hummer. And I, I said, Fabio, what do you need this for? It's a gas guzzler. And he goes, you see that hill there? I could climb In the apocalypse? It. Oh. There's an earthquake? In I can climb that hill. Until you run out of gas halfway so up the hill. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that, Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> the apocalypse. I love planning for, for the, the apocalypse. apocalypse. Yeah. And the, step one, buy a Hummer. <laughs> Even better, two Hummers. Yeah. In I, case one of them... Blows a tire. I'm thinking a Prius is going to come in more handy. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. go further. It's just not as much fun. No, no. Anyway, so. so Nicholas Cage. Okay, Nicholas right. Cage. Um, 
the whole thing was, well, he collects Lamborghinis. Oh. You know, some people collect Hummel figurines, and some people right. collect Lamborghinis. But he he broke? I, well, I read... he wasn't then. This is the reason, probably, that he yeah. became broke. It's an expensive habit. But uh, he, yeah, no, so we went for a drive in a Lamborg- one of his Lamborghinis, and we drove... And it's L.A. and it's 5:30. We're going to a steakhouse, so you're in this car. It's like a pit bull on a leash. It's like it wants to go, and it can't. I'm like, I, I believe you when you say this car can do 250 miles per hour. And I'm guessing, I don't know. Right. But right now, it's just in a tunnel. So we, we um, it's just the two of you. It's, it's a two just the seater, two of us. Right? It's yeah, a two seater. Yeah. yeah, that seemed to be my thing. Me and a celebrity in a two seater yeah. plane car. So your, do your husband ever get uptight about that? Like, oh, you're going flying with Tom no, Cruise? No, my husband. I'm going to husband. a clown's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> no, take that. But Ed, Ed has some friends in LA, and one of them was in a film with Nicole Kidman, and I wrote Ed a permission slip to have sex with Nicole Kidman, oh, did, and I signed did she and dated accept that? it. Oh, she basically ran away from him. <laughs> Did he show it to her? No, he didn't even get it out of his pocket. Oh. He and his friend were in a uh, were in one of I don't know, like a trailer, and she came in trying to zip up her zipper her, oh. of her dress, and See? she was having trouble. And Ed and his friend Tim both at the same time said, "Do you need help with that?" And she looked over and kind of. Printed from the room in her little high heels. Oh, and left. So Ed what, didn't even get a chance to show her the permission slip. But it's undated. Actually, it's undated. So, so whenever he has... It's a blank check. It's a blank check. Cassie no. and I had a similar thing with Salma Hayek. Yeah. Uh, my professor, former professor, Stanley Krippner. I, I don't know if you've um, ever yes, heard of, of him. Yes, of course. The, 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 the famous experiment in yeah. the prison, right? No, Krippner. No, no, no. That's uh, oh, no, the prison, the Millbrook. Oh, the, that's Mil- the, yeah, Milgram. Milgram, yeah. No, no. Stanley Krippner is uh, a parapsychologist, actually. You could uh-huh. talk to him about you know, yeah, telepathy know. Yeah, and things I like that. Yeah, I know the name from, from Spook. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he... Uh, he met Salma Hayek uh, at a. He was hanging out in Oregon at the the estate of or the the big like ranch of this psychic who channels Ramtha, the Egyptian spirit oh, okay. or something. Jay Z Knight was her name. Anyway, he was up there and he, yeah. he found himself sitting next to Salma Hayek at dinner. Yeah. And she had just broken up with Edward Norton and she was complaining about men and yeah. and she said Stanley Stanley's gay and eighty or something. Yeah. And she said, Stanley, you you, uh, you must know some nice men. He said, Oh, I know all oh, my favorite student, Krista. You would love him, he blah blah blah. But unfortunately he's married. And when he told us the story, Cassie said, Stanley, Chris isn't married for Salma Hayek. I mean, come on. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah, are yeah. exceptions. Right. <laughs> anyway, so, anyway. so what happened? Nothing, because, you oh. know, he blew it. He blew it. Oh. He also was going to introduce me to Uma Thurman at one point. Oh. That's another story. Anyway, yeah, I don't right. want to derail this. Wait, you're talking about... Uh, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage yeah. on your way to the steakhouse. I, uh, uh, yeah. And Nicholas Cage... So okay. he's intense. Was he like screaming so, and upset no, 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 about no, the traffic? No, he wasn't. No, he's just sort of... He's a little lugubrious. And at one point, um, we were talking about... Um, he, he has a, a huge fish tank with... We were talking about octopuses or octopi. And he has a few of them. And I said, when I was a child, I had a fish tank. But at a certain point, I got tired of it. And there was an infestation of snails. And I hated it. So I flushed the fish eventually down the toilet. And this really, really bothered him. Like, he, 
he let it go, and then about 10 minutes later into the interview, he gave an answer, and then he stopped and said, you know, I just want to say, you could have given them away, <laughs> the fish. And I said, well, you know, I was 12 years old. I wasn't really, my moral capacity hadn't, but anyway, and I read, and like years later, some interview with him, some woman said, I understand you flushed your fish down the toilet, and he goes, no, wait, stop the interview. That wasn't me. That was a reporter. So it like, stayed oh, with wow. him. He's been haunted by the... But anyway, it was a little awkward. The, and then when we drove, he, he drove me back to get my rental car. And um, we drive up to the parking lot and the gate is closed. And there's one car in the lot and it's my little rental car. And he said, well, you can stay at my house, my apartment. And I was like, does this mean? What does this mean? What do you mean? It just turns out he has did, an apartment. Did you have a letter from your husband? No, allowing I didn't. Allowing you to sleep with Nicholas Cage? No, I didn't. As it turned out, I didn't need it because he would be staying at his house across town, the apartment. He just uses it for, I don't know, parties, interviews. It's an apartment downtown, and then he lives in the hills. Right. But it was actually very generous of him. To let me stay there, and I went through all his drawers and <laughs> his closet. You anticipated my I question. Even, there was a notepad, and I flipped through to see if there was, a, and there was something written in the middle of the notepad, Ooh, and I didn't put it in the story. Good. But I'll tell you now what it said. Oh, we're breaking news here, ladies we're and gentlemen. We're breaking news here. I've never told anybody oh, this. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> it said. Instead of just pleasuring myself, why not do something that matters? In the middle of a notepad, not on the top. Instead of I don't, just He didn't mean masturbating. He meant well, like buying you know? six Lamborghinis. How do you know what he meant? Because it... Pleasuring cons- myself? Instead, yeah, no. Pleasuring myself? Okay, but why would you... You can masturbate and do something for other people. But if you spend all your money on Lamborghinis and suits well, with crystals on them, but which if was you're in Nicolas the closet. Cage, maybe he's thinking like instead of masturbating, maybe I should do random women the favor of having sex with no, them. No, he's not. No, he's not. That's just so you. No, he means instead of buying twenty-five Lamborghinis, why not support a charity? See, I think, I think this is the the Hollywood equivalent of a cone, and and we're the two Zen monks trying to figure out what it means. <laughs> Right, the sound of one hand masturbating. Debated for centuries. What did he mean? What did the great Nicholas mean? Saint Cage. Entire tomes will be penned instead of merely pleasuring myself. Why not do something that matters? Something that matters or counts. I forget. I'd have to look at my notes. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Well, it's good you didn't put that in your article. That would have been. That would have been bad. I don't want it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not doing on a... The statute of limitations is long It's a since. podcast. He's yeah. not going to... He doesn't give anyway, a shit. You, you, you I don't weekend. think Nicolas Cage listens to my podcast. <laughs> if you do, if you do anyway, Nicolas, send does, an email. If he does, um, Nicolas Cage, is, he, he, he was a really soulful. Not lugubrious. I take that back. He's very soulful. Hmm, that's a little bit tormented. A little. Yeah. Well, he seems like he tormented. Was, um, you know, we he walked with a, a kind of like his shoulders hunched through the steakhouse, and I said, you know, you walk with a kind of like with your shoulders up, and he said that's because I don't want. He said I, I don't like, I don't like to be seen. He's kind of tormented by the whole. But is he, was he wearing like glasses and a hat? No, no. 
See, no, that's, not that's at all. what I find about these Hollywood people. They all bitch and complain about being recognized, but they don't make the slightest effort not to be. A lot of them do. You see a lot of them in the pages of those magazines that I look at only in the airport. <laughs> you see yeah. them with the ponytail and the dark glasses and the cap. They do that Well, a lot. yeah. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't, but that would be weird for an interview. Because if you show up like that, you know, the author, the writer will describe you. Yeah. But no, way. I mean, if you're going out, you could say, hey, I'm going to put on some glasses and shit because I don't want to yeah. get in a hassle. Yeah, you know? I don't know. Yeah. All right, so who else? Yeah. We've got Fabio, we've got Tom Cruise, we've got uh, <laughs> Nicolas Cage. This nah, is the quite rest a... Of them, the rest, uh, they weren't very... Uh, Janine Garofalo, who was right up front and pretty cool. Janine Garofalo. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, Janine Garofalo. Oh, oh, I know her. The yeah. Ca- yeah. Uh, she's, yeah. She's, she's cool. She's great. Uh, cool. Yeah. Likeable. Not, not into being interviewed. Cannot blame her. Right. Um... Jawbone guy from West Wing. Oh, oh, yeah. What's his name? Um, who got caught in bed with the girls? Exactly. And, uh, and, uh, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, Rob who's Lowe. in uh, Parks and Recreation. Yes, exactly. He seems like a likable guy. He was likable. I, I like him. Yeah. He was likable. And I mean, what the hell, you he know? He was likable. We didn't do something. We had lunch. Which yeah. Was, so that was dull. So are you starstruck? Do you get starstruck? Oh, Bruce Willis, too. Bruce oh. Willis. Um, n- um, n- no, not really, no. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess good. I would be. You know, I'm starstruck by people. I was starstruck by Joyce Carol Oates. Oh. And I was seated next to her at a dinner, and I was terrified. Uh, we were on a panel, and there was a dinner afterwards, and she was the first one there, and I walked in the room, and no one else was there. And I, of course, had to sit down. She said, come and sit down, and... She's just lovely, and it turns out her favorite program is is her favorite network to watch is Animal Planet, and we talked about animals. But she's hmm. not she's so unintimidating. I mean, she teaches at what Princeton, and she's written over a hundred books, <laughs> and she's very scholarly. And anyway, she's a lovely person. But, Have you but, done TV? It's just. No, I appearances. Mean, but, but you haven't no. like had a show or anything. No. Have, have no, they pitched no. it to you? Have oh, you ever... we've been through t- t- pitches and uh, idea meetings and things. But um, the bottom line is that there are not a lot of uh, women over fifty on television. Hmm. It's not uh, something that uh, the powers that be get excited about. Yeah. So. Um, I get that too. I mean, not being a woman, but. I uh, had a, a show that was pitched, yeah. and ABC was very interested in yeah. it, and it went to the up to the next level. And my, is this after Sex at Dawn? Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh-huh. And the agent, my agent, met with the the like top guy at ABC, and yeah. they, they looked at the the sizzle reel. That yeah. We, and the guy looks at my agent and says, "I wouldn't fuck that guy." That's how it goes in television. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't fuck me? Well, yeah. great. I wouldn't fuck you either. Like, yeah. what's that have to do with anything, you know? Yeah. This isn't a porn movie, you know? It's yeah. a fucking TV show, science show about sex, you asshole. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's strange. So I get, I get called a lot, and I tend to, up front, just say, you know what, I'm 50, what, uh, yeah, I'm 54 now, and yeah, whatever I am, age I was then. And let's be real, they're not gonna, they're not gonna, I'm not going to host a show. And if I did host a show, I'd have to deal with people trying to, you know, change my hair and make me, I mean, I just, like, make Sex me wear up. crap. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't, and it's, it, to me, it's the antithesis of what I do. I can't, 
You know, people say, oh, we'd like to do a television version of Bonk. Like, right. first of all, all of the things that happened, happened. You'd have to recreate stuff, and that's bullshit. You'd yeah. have to recreate something that happened. There's not a lot of it going on, and if there is, it's not. It's it's it works in print because I can give you a few details. If it's a full-on visual, then it's kind of too much information, or it's porn, or it's and it's just something entirely different. So you're saying and you would not have sex in an MRI machine again for the I TV show? I never had sex in an MRI you machine. Didn't? What, what was a, the famous no, thing that happened? Ultrasound. Ultrasound. Yes, but it it gets printed <laughs> up everywhere as sex. MRI machine, at least you have a little privacy. Yeah. Ultrasound, not much room, not much wiggle room. Not though. much wiggle room. Ultrasound, you've got the dude there holding the wand. Oh, He's that's right even there. kinkier. Yeah, it's a little kinkier. I thought dude you were right in the there. tube. In the tube, piece of cake. Yeah. It gets cramped, but private. <laughs> it's like a capsule hotel that went through the, <laughs> the went Japanese through the things, right? Dryer. <laughs> Shrink it. Shrunk down. Yeah. So, so there was a dude there with the ultrasound the dude with wand. The other, Dr. Dung. Dr. Dung. Dr. Dung. D E N G. Isn't that Dung that they pronounce it Dung? Dr. Dung. D U N G? D E N G. Deng. Oh, Dung. Oh, Deng Chaopeng. Yeah, Mapsay Dung. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. So he's right there with his console. So I had a bad. Was that a problem for Ed? Well, Viagra helps. Until. Uh, uh, and I, uh, getting back to the MRI thing, you know, there have been a couple MRI studies, but that project was put on hold because this was pre-Viagra, and an MRI, you have to hold still for 60 seconds, and the men kept, the men kept losing their erections because they have to stop. 60 seconds is a long time. Seconds. Maybe Sting could do it. I think Sting could do it. Sting and Trudy would have been fine. Um, so they, they find, then Viagra comes along. They're like, okay, we're good. <laughs> we're good to go. So we're good. So now then it was just size was the issue. They got a couple of tiny Dutch acrobats, Jupe and Ida, I think. <laughs> Jupe. Jupe and Ida. Jupe. So they, they squeezed in there uh-huh. to the MRI tube. And they were fun. But until there was Viagra, nobody could do that study. Anyway, yes, Viagra was a necessity. Viagra's and, changed and, the and world. Ed is, Ed, you know, he's a, I think he was, it was, he's a very, uh, Ed is someone, it's like, if you give him an assignment, he's just, he's very good at, like, wanting to do the best job he can was and he help people. Was he a Marine? People. No, he's just a helpful person. Really? That's yeah. great. So he's like, well, my job, this is, this is my job here. <laughs> And, you know, and I'm taking notes. You know, I'm. I've got the. I'm Wait, receptacle. you're taking notes while it's happening. Ta- yes, I was taking you're notes. You're like lying there, thinking of England and taking notes. <laughs> taking notes. <laughs> I'm thinking this is going to be so fun to write up. Seriously, you're taking notes. Yeah, I was taking notes. Do you have a notes. clipboard or something? Just a note, a reporter's notebook. I don't have a clipboard. I mean, I've, I've probably had sex with some bored women in my life, but I don't think well, anyone's I don't ever been taking take notes. notes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm for the book. <laughs> Not for England, for the book. And it was such a... I just knew it was going to be so fun to write up. I didn't yeah. want to miss anything. And yeah. I don't have a good memory. So You this, don't have a good memory? No, I have a terrible memory. Really? Yeah. That's an interesting... Yeah, I don't have a good memory. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm, I've got to write everything down. Tape recorder and notepad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what's your favorite? What are your favorite authors? Do you have Do you have like five authors oh, that you particularly oh gosh. admire? Yeah, I love. There's a lot of New Yorker writers I love. Uh, like Burke yeah. Bilger, Burkhard yeah. Bilger, I love. And I, um, I read. There's a copy of the New Yorker right there. Yeah, yeah um, I read it all the time. Seabrook and Susan Orlean, I love. I'll read anything she writes. Sedaris, of course. 
um, Bill Bryson I like a lot Calvin mm. Trillin mm-hmm. you know he's he's been around so long and he's done so much I think people kind of like ah people kind of forget about right. him and now, you know he'll right. have a piece like that one about mozzarella the, the store that sells mozzarella yeah. he's just such a beautiful yeah. writer and reporter yeah I love him. Um, you ever read Pilgrim at Tinker Creek? Yes, Annie Dillard. Annie she Dillard. taught at Wesleyan. Oh, did she? And I tried to get into her class, and I didn't make the cut. Oh, that's but she's too bad. amazing. That was such a great yes, book. Yes, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And uh, yeah. what was the other one? Uh, Edward Abbey, uh, Desert Solitaire. You ever yeah, read that? I never read that. And Fadiman, uh, essayist, brilliant, her. really wonderful. Writer, uh, there's so many. Krakauer, I, you ever read him? John yes, Krakauer? yes. Into the Wild and Into Thin Air, yeah. amazing. Great Just books. cannot stop reading them. Fantastic. Just yeah. Into Thin Air, the dude's climbing Mount Everest. There's not a sentence in there about how beautiful it is. <laughs> this is an amazing no, spot. It's, it's, it's a torture drama. And yeah. Horror yeah. all the way through. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just brilliant. Yeah, and Into Thin Air, likewise. I haven't read the Mormon one, but. Oh, under under, under the banner, the banner of, heaven. of heaven. Yeah, yeah, I do want to read that. Yeah, yeah. I do too. And I, I and that there's some writers who they're less known. There, there's a historical nonfiction writer. I'm forgetting his name. He wrote under a, under a flaming sky, which is as Sebastian Younger did to waves. This guy did to fire. It was a perfect storm of three fires in Hinkley, Ohio. I think it was Ohio or Hinkley. <laughs> Midwest, uh, and just he follows minute by minute, kind of like Young Men in Fire, uh, that which is those firefighters who went up the hill and only one survivor. Oh, that, uh, the recent Norman, one. No, no, it was, a, it was probably 10 or 15 years ago, oh. Young Men in Fire. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but this guy who did the firestorm, did a did, he did a chronicle of the Donner Party, which is normally right. it's been covered a lot, but never right. well in really? a narrative way. No. And he, it's a, an amazing uh, you know, he focuses on two families and it's just gripping. He's a he's just an amazing historian and storyteller. Hmm. Yeah. Which I admire a lot. Yeah. To yeah. be able to It's hard to do that. Because yeah. there's there's so much material yeah. and so much of it is conflicting and to tease it apart and keep a coherent thread of yeah. what's going on is really Do you ever feel like like your profession is doing homework? My profession is doing humor? Homework. Oh homework. Like every book is the biggest fucking homework assignment <laughs> ever. I feel that way sometimes. It's like Instead of like a you know fifteen page term paper, it's a three hundred page book. No, I don't. I don't feel that way because there's so much. So much of it is uh, going out uh, into the. You do reportage. Yeah, I, I don't do, do reportage. Twelve or more trips. Oh yeah. I do. You know, it's a historical chapter, and then there's an archive trip sometimes. I'm I'm so I'm spending so much time out in the world that it feels like it's not. Like I'm getting away with something. Right. People are paying you to cruise to, around to, and meet to, interesting just people. Decide yeah. this looks really interesting. I'm going to go here and hang out for three days, and it's this wonderful privilege. Yeah. So it I, is. I, although there definitely are moments where it feels like the worst possible homework assignment, and I, get, I what am I, what am I going to do? And then the revisions are always. Yeah. You know, my editor is always, she has a great instinct for how to start a book, but invariably she'll go like, this chapter back here, chapter seven, I think you should start with that, which means pulling the whole thing apart. And my initial response is always like, fuck, no, you don't understand. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. Well, that could work. Mm. I see how we could do that. Right. So you, you like taking direction. 
I actually, uh, although I have an initial response of horror, right. when I dive down into it, I do like, kind of like the puzzle of revisions and reworking a book. And you have faith in her because you've worked with yeah, her a lot. she's got yeah. a good instinct and yeah. she's... She's never wrong. she's never wrong, right? And yeah. and and it's 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 a difficult thing as a writer, and you know this way better than I do. But my feeling is like you're. How can I say this? It's like you have to really trust your opinion because it's you doing right. it. It's your voice. It's your right. ideas. It's your you know every every right. direction is you know you're taking that step. Right. But you also have to keep in mind that because you're so immersed in it, your perspective is kind of invalidated in a that's way. Right. So if someone you really trust says, no, it needs to start with this, that's it, a great gift to have it, someone yeah. like that that you, yeah, that yeah. you rely on. Yeah, or somebody on. that says, this goes on too long. I'm bored. Right. It's not funny. And, and yeah. there's a trap that you fall into. I think this happens a lot with people who spend time in archives. Where like, yeah, Okay, I went and I spent a week in this archive. Therefore... I've got to use this material. Right. But maybe I worked that real material, hard to get this. Yeah, I yeah. worked really hard to get this. I've got to put it in. But yeah. there's a possibility that it's not very interesting and it doesn't go in. Exactly. And that's what your editor does. You, right. I mean, you almost can't you, you can't pull back enough to see that, uh, and you have too much invested in it. Uh, but but the just because you spent yeah. a month in the mine doesn't mean you found gold there. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's what Cassie yeah. did on Sex at Dawn. Every day she would come home from running this mental hospital and read what I'd written yeah. in her sixth or seventh language. Right. And she was the one. And it also, I think, helps that it's not her first language because she would really read word by word. Yeah. And uh, and she was the one who said, mm, "Yeah, this isn't funny." You know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I get it, but yeah. it's not funny. Yeah. And very few people can say that to you, and it's really important. Yeah, my uh, and, and and a good editor is. Uh, yeah, my editor will just draw a line through a sentence and just write no. <laughs> and, uh, oh, really? No, not like. Uh, Mary, maybe not you sure should reconsider. This is, um, what about just no? <laughs> no, that's great. Which no is, ambiguity yeah, there. Just, no, and, and yeah, and I may initially go, wait, but that's my favorite line. You know, I, I always come around and go, oh yeah, that really, that was stupid. Yeah, that was dumb. We, my editor, who's by the way is the same editor I'm using the, the yeah. next book. He yeah. left Harper, and now he's oh, okay. with uh, Simon and Schuster. Yeah. So I've got the same editor, yeah. even though everyone else is different. Yeah. Um, but in in Sex at the initial thing, there was this extended dialogue uh, that I had set up where I took uh, a, a scientist was sort of out explaining a very like the distilled the distillation of what I was arguing against right and it yeah. was like two pages so I just without omitting anything I just would like have you know a uh, paragraph of his and then I'd respond yeah. and say look look how he's saying this and that yeah. and then a paragraph of yeah. his and then I respond yeah. and in the margin my editor wrote I can't begin to tell you how much I despise reading this <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you need that bluntness <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. I had I an editor when I worked at the zoo. Actually, I was the director of the Zoological Society who had to sign off. And I had a description. It had to do with the insect zoo. And I, I was describing Katie Dids. And I wrote Itty Bitty Katie Dids. Because I thought that sounded cool. Right. Itty Bitty and Katie Did. And she wrote, Ugh, U G H. <laughs> 
And she was right. Itty bitty Katie dids. Yeah. Itty bitty Katie dids. Yeah, I used the the phrase penguin poontang in Sex at Dawn, and I was unsure about that. I sent sent the section to my dad, and I said, do you think that's pushing it a bit far? And he was like, hell no! Fight for that one! Keep that one in there! Penguin poontang! And I've had a lot of people have written to me and said, man, I can't believe... Penguin Poontang, you cracked me up with that one. <laughs> yeah, there are times when you do fight, you need to fight back. Yeah. There are some, I, I think in, uh, it's a packing for my, there's always a couple where I'm like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. That's good. one of my favorite lines, and that's staying in. I understand. I understand it's not your favorite line. Somebody's coming on to my wife over there. It's always interesting to watch, isn't it? Well, it's happened twice since we've been here. Oh, yeah? The first set was a couple of lesbians, which was nice. <laughs> and, they, and they were like, hey, lucky guy. And I was like, yeah, I'm a lucky guy. We have the same taste in women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so can you talk about what you're doing now or what's coming oh, next? Oh, I can legally, but I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, 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 you know, I wonder about that because people always ask me about the next book, and I, 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 I talk like about to. it. You do? But I don't like to. I don't like to. Yeah. I don't like to. I work and I'm really, wondering if really, maybe I, I should work not. really hard to find things that aren't already overexposed on the Internet that are fresh and surprising and... People go, holy shit, where'd she get that? Right. And if I go around for two years spilling all the... As I've been doing. Telling, as you've been doing. There's no air in my balloon. Oh, Um, well, it's... This um, happens every time I take her out. There's a crowd gathering around my wife now. (laughs) It's so stupid. We're the spectators. Yeah. Um, Um, So you just... You keep your powder dry and don't talk about it. I don't. Because I'm just... because of the internet, because you know, you, uh, if there's something that's interesting that people would like to share, it's suddenly all over the internet and it's yeah. old and stale. And your book comes out in two years, and people go, "Oh yeah, I read about that on the internet." So I'm very that's paranoid. what's going to happen to me. Yeah. No, I've already got T-shirts promoting the book I haven't started writing yet. But you haven't handed them out yet. They're on order. No. Yeah, <laughs> you can. Well, it's just the, it's, but it, they're not giving away. Anything. Somebody else is. I mean, the title. Yeah. Someone else is going to write a book with that title, and people are going to be like, "Oh, it's out!" And everyone's going to buy it. And I'll be like, "No, yeah, it's but, not I, you know, the but right there, but one." But there isn't a very. There is a very valid argument, which is that you want to be building the case through social media yeah. for for the two years that the book is coming out, and then when it comes out, everybody's just been chomping at the bit to have. To, is it to chomping get it. or champing? Uh, Oh, you know what? It may be chomping. I think it's chomping. I like chomping. I do too. I've always because said chomping, and someone corrected me it's recently. It's chomping. Yeah. And it's actually, but maybe it's pronounced chomping. You know, because it was like a British, young or like, dung chom- or whatever. Yeah, like, it's the British version of dung. Yeah, <laughs> chomping. He's, cho- he's been chomping at the chomping, bit. Chomping is it? Is it? Yeah, chomping at the bit. It's champing. You're right. And what is champ? What is to champ? I guess to like to chew? chew if you're a horse. Well, then what's wrong with chomp? Because we do say chomp. Do you chomp anything other than the bit? I mean, do you chomp? You chomp, chomp, chomp dentures, chomp, chomping. Chomp. Yeah, it's it's a good, valid, chewing verb. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, so, so yes. you don't so, talk about what you're working no, on now. So, I don't. So you're just going to leave us here I'm hanging here. I'm going to leave you scratching I your head. I think it's a book about bungee jumping. <laughs> I, that's what I think it is. I wrote a story about that. I couldn't even fill two thousand words <laughs> about bungee jumping. Yeah, just like ah, I, uh, yeah. I told you that that was my book right there. Yeah, two it. minute story. All right. Well, when's when's it coming out? Is it a one word oh, title? Will you tell uh, us that? I don't Chomp. have the title. Chomp. Chomp. <laughs> that would have been gold. That would have been for the last yeah. one. Uh, 
the title will have to be changed. Uh, so I don't have a title. You know? I don't have a title. I try to do one word. Doesn't always work. Um, so is that your thing? No, like not, Malcolm no. Gladwell's the white cover. No, your thing is the one word title. Because look at packing for Mars. Packing yeah. for Mars. Yeah. Four syllables. No, stiff was a working title that I planned to change and never come up with anything better. Same with Spook and Bonk. I thought, oh, well, I'll come up with something better. And we considered a lot of titles, many of them having more than one word. Just ended up It's with a good those. thing. I think it's cool to have well, one more titles. Rem- it's easier to remember. Right. I'm reading a book by Colm McCann. I can't even get his name right. But it... It, the, the title is four or five words, and I, it's, I keep calling it As the World Turns, and that's not it. it. It's something the world is, as the world spins, hmm. spinning, see, four words, yeah, can't get it's it. it's too complicated. Too complicated. Yeah, yeah. I'm a simple mind. Yeah. What, have you read The World Without Us, speaking of world books? No, but that's a I, good book. I went to Antarctica with that man. You went to Antarctica? <laughs> Alan Weissman was one of the Alan reporters Weissman, right. on our National Science Foundation used to take you down on the government's money. You, your magazine would get you to either the bottom of South America or New Zealand, New Zealand, and then they would uh, the government would ferry you around. Whatever story you wanted to do it was fabulous. I went down four or five times. I gotta get out more. I never get any of these junkets. Great! It was so great. Anyway, Alan Weissman was along on one of the trips. I don't know what he was doing environmental stuff back then. This was in the late '80s. You ever met Werner Herzog? No, I would love to. <sighs> Me too. He's like love, top of the list. Love. So like, maybe uh, you and I together could get together. With you. I will just. I just just to listen to him talk. Partly it's the <laughs> accent. Which is not a classic German. It's, you know, particularly just the way he pronounces yeah. all the syllables. And, yeah. And he's a little bit daft and a little brilliant, and or more than a little brilliant. And, like, there used to be a... Ret- they would show retrospectives at the cinemas in the city. And I remember seeing Agira, um, Strozek, Wozek, House of Glass... Uh, 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 the vampire one. I mean, there was this. I went yeah. to every single one. I was just in. Heaven. Have you seen his Antarctica movie? No, I haven't. You'd think that I would. But Encounters I at the end no, of the world. No, I should oh, see it's it. Fantastic. I should see it. It's, it's a beautiful so funny. place. And the people there are amazing and well, bizarre. It's about the people who work yeah. there, primarily. It's They're about, ex- like, the guy who fixes the trucks and, yep. you know, like yep. the guy in the greenhouse who's definitely yeah. growing weed. Like, yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah. doubt oh, yeah. there's guys growing weed. Yeah. Like, best weed in the world's got to be in Antarctica. Sure. You know? Yeah, I love Antarctica. It's my favorite place. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're a mis- misanthrope? You don't no, like people? No, it's my favorite place because of the people there. Oh, the really? The people there are amazing. They're just really, hmm. they're interesting. The, the, the scientists are interesting and the support people. You've been to Alaska? I love the Arctic, too. I've yeah. been to the Arctic. I love, uh, I love the poles. Yeah. The people who are drawn to the poles are... are really fascinating. Some of the most fun I've ever had was a story I reported up in Igloolik, which is a little island off the top of Baffin Island. I've also been up to Devon Island, which is very close to the pole. Not the watery one, but the, mag- is it the magnetic one. Right. Anyway, yeah. way the hell up there. Uh, because it's it looks so much like the moon and Mars that they, it's a, an analog. So they use it, space people will use it to test uh, Buggy, you know, machines and stuff, right? Or to pr- figure out how do you predict distances on a landscape like that, or su- it's super volcanic, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's uh, so, and it's just, I love those places that 
you know, when you look at the map and there's nothing there, that makes me want to go there. And then you get there and you go, oh, I know why there's no one here, because you can't grow anything. It's fucking freezing and there's yeah. no infrastructure. But they're, they're just amazing places. So there you have it, folks. Mary Roach's next book will be called Pole. <laughs> it will be about her encounters at the North and South Pole. Yeah, someone else did those books. Really? Uh, yeah, someone, um, Sarah Wheeler, did a lovely book about about Antarctica and the people there. Uh-huh. And someone did the polls. What's that guy? Barry. Barry Lopez. Barry Lopez. Yeah, yeah. And He's Farley Moat. Farley so Moat. Like, Farley Moat, who's not allowed in the U.S. because he said something about, like, you know, he, he made some comment about next time he saw an American surveillance plane go over, he was going to shoot it down. And, the, okay, and, now he's not And now he's on a list and yeah. he can't. Oh, really? Fucking wow. Americans. Wow. Anyway, listen. Anyway. Thank you very much for doing this. We, I, think, sure. I think we have to go save my wife. Uh, they, they, yeah, her suitors don't look aggressive. I think she's fine. But <laughs> we should, we've left her over there by herself with her crutches. She had a yachting accident. A yachting accident. Yeah, it breaks your heart, doesn't it? Yeah. She was jumping. She, you don't jump on boats, uh, she now knows. But she was jumping from the yacht to the tender. We were going scuba diving. She was jumping from the, oh, from the yacht to the little yeah, instead the, the Zodiac or Right, whatever. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, listen, thank you. I know oh, you're yeah, very sure. busy. And, and Sure. No, this was fun. Thank you very for doing fun. this. Very fun. You got to edit. How do you do? How do you? You got to like slog through. And what is this? An hour and a half? I'm not going to edit shit, man. This is going up exactly (laughs) as is. This is raw. This is raw, folks. With the bar sounds and your belching and everything else. Any belching you heard was was Mary Roach. Lugubrious Nicholas Cage. Whatever lugubrious means. Soulful. 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 All right. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Say what you 
take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground 